Hello, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Let's kick off today's session, this morning's session. Welcome to the Queen's Health Talk on fibroids, endometriosis, and polycystic ovaries. Today, we are going to be exploring and discussing all the implications um, with some eminent people in the area around fibroids, endometriosis, and polycystic ovaries. So, what I always say every week, please have your pens, pads, notebooks ready to take down notes. Please post any questions into the chat. I've got my fantastic co-host, Nadia, Nadia Mark, who's going to be monitoring the chat for me and we'll pick up any questions, sending themes then. And there will be a question and answer session at the end um, whereby you can ask our presenters um, any questions. All right. So, Welcome again and good morning, good evening, good night, and thank you so much for being on the platform this morning. And welcome to the Kings, if there's any Kings around. So can I get a thumbs up? I know that you're all on, on board. People are still coming into the um, this Zoom event. Wherever you are in the world, just I just wanna thank you all again for supporting us and you know coming onto the platform. We are predominantly a walking group, so for those of you who haven't been on the platform before, um, I'll just give you a quick bit of background history. So we are predominantly a walking group um, and we would normally be, normally be walking on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock. But unfortunately, due to the pandemic and the government restrictions, you know, and the one that really kind of knocked it on the head for us was the mere fact that only one person could meet with another person from a different household to um, exercise. So therefore, We've been Zooming, we've been Zooming for the last couple of months and we've had an absolute blast. We've covered an array of different topics and it's been absolutely fantastic. So we've done Queen's Black Hair Rocks, we've done Queen's We Ain't Crazy Son of the Menopause, we've done Queen's Breaking the Silence, Let's Talk About Mental Health, we've done Queen's um, Stop Eating the Fridge, Let's Talk About Diet and Nutrition, and a spin-off from that has been, we've been on, there's a group of 60 of us, and we've been on a 30-day intermittent fasting challenge. And that has been an absolutely amazing experience. Amazing. Learning about, you know, different ways we can, different foods we can eat, you know, having a dedicated eating window between 12 and 8. So it's been amazing and the transformation and testimonials that have been coming through especially on our WhatsApp group have been it's been mind-blowing people who thought they couldn't you know stop the certain bad habits it's been a huge transition for, for for many of the people on the group it's been absolutely fantastic we've done a couple of black business events as well on the platform and we've got a, we've got one next week in actual fact so that will be um dedicated to children. So we're gonna have a panel discussion and then we're gonna have businesses that are predominantly providing services and products to children. So we'll have a North Bar, we'll have a lady who's created a game for her child, we'll have a lady who does black dolls. So we'll have an array of different um, business owners, vendors on the platform, talking about their business talk and, sh and showcasing their products. So that's going to be really, really, really exciting. We've also got a number of, of Zooms coming up. So 
Oh, and we also did love, sex and relationships last week. And that was, we're going to do a part two because we need to kind of get a bit deep, a lot deeper into this love, sex and relationships. That was a phenomenal event. Really, really good. So what have we got coming up? We've got Queen's International Black Hair Rocks. And don't our hair rock. Whether you've got locks, you've got weave, you've got plaits, whatever style you're rocking, natural, I'm telling you, we are going to be celebrating our black hair. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic Zoom event. I'm so looking forward to that. I've got so many ideas buzzing in my head. It's going to be amazing. We've got another health talk coming up. We're going to have a series, you know, because there are lots of um, different, you know, conditions that protect our community predominantly. So I'm just going to ask my colleague to mute everybody because I can hear something in the background. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have a series of health talks. So today, you know, you're all on the platform for um, fibroids, endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. We're going to be doing a series, we're going to have a topic, talk about diabetes, we're going to be talking about prostate cancer, we're going to be talking about pain, there's a whole raft of different um, topics we're going to have specifically in the Queen's Health series, so that's going to be amazing again. We're actually going to be also doing an early morning spiritual mind, body and soul retreat, I'm so looking forward to that. And the list goes on, yes the list goes on. So yes, we have an amazing array of different Zoom events that are gonna be coming up. So to hear about future Queen's Walking Group exciting events, please follow us on Eventbrite. That's the only way you're gonna be able to know instantly what's gonna be happening with us. And it's every week it's something different. There's no kind of like consecutive pattern here. You know, whatever I, Whatever comes into my head, I think, oh, this would be a good topic to do. And that's how we roll. This Zoom event is being recorded and will be released on our YouTube channel. And this week, I actually, um, we actually uploaded four um, Zooms. So the menopause ones, part one and part two, are now up on YouTube. The Black Hair Rocks, part one and part two, are also up on YouTube. And we also uploaded the um, Queen's Breaking the Silence, let's talk about mental health, yeah? So they are actually going up onto the YouTube channel now. So please, you know, check us out, like, subscribe, comment, share. Really appreciate the support. So have your pens and paper, your pads ready for some life-changing information. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic event this morning. And it's really about, you know, as individuals, you know, we'll give you the information and for you to make the decisions, you know, and take away some really good, authentic knowledge. Because yeah, we always have an array of fantastic speakers on our platform. And it's all about our health. So let's get ready to kick off today's session, Queen's Health Talk on fibroids, endometrias and polycystic ovaries. So Queens, these are conditions oh. that are more prevalent. To mute everybody, please. Thank you. So we are, these these are conditions that you know seem to affect for some reason predominantly our community. So if you're suffering with like the heavy periods, 
tummy pain, abdominal pain, lower back pain, frequent need to go to the toilet, you know, constipation, discomfort during sex, weight gain, thinning hair, hair loss, skin acne. These are all symptoms of what's going on in regards to these particular conditions. So I want to give a big shout out so you know that the presenters are real and they're really here on the platform. So can I ask Dr. Aaron Arthur to say a quick hello to the guests on the platform? Hi, good, good morning everyone. Hi, nice to meet you all. Wonderful. We also have the phenomenal, the beautiful Dr. Adora. Are you here? I am here. Thank you so much everyone for tuning in. Wonderful. Imani, the wonderful Imani. Morning everyone. Nice to meet you all. Valerie. Greetings. Nice to meet you all. Good, good. Kentucky. <laughs> Greetings. Wonderful to be here. Blessed. Fantastic. So, Kentucky, let's kick off with you. And I have, I've got, you know, I've always got some questions. <laughs> and we like to ask questions. This is a good platform to be able to do this, to get the expertise and the knowledge from you know these professionals in our community so fibroids can affect women of reproductive age but black women are more likely to develop them why why, why is that why is the data driven and, and displaying this you know kind of phenomenon in our community okay thank you um Many years ago, when we used to look at fibroids, um, studies were done here in, in that UK and the States, and then also in places like New Nigeria. And they found that actually the prevalence was similar. So we thought maybe, you know, because we had come into the diaspora and the fact that we'd gone through slavery and all of that, okay, but they found that, you know, there was just as many cases. Studies which are coming out now, because this question keeps being asked, looks at the possibility, and I don't like using this word, obesity. So they say that black women may be more obese than, um, you know, bigger, bigger, right, possibly. And that that may be a factor <clears throat> in terms of the estrogen levels. There are other factors that may be involved. Um, and so uh, racial discrimination has actually come into the, the, you know, the mix, possibility of racial discrimination. And th the fact that that um, emits hormones, and in my presentation I'll talk a little bit about hormones and that. And then also childhood, childhood trauma, those kind of things may be factors as to why black women. So those are the, some of the things that are coming out. But to be honest, I don't think anyone really knows or people are still trying to understand why it is that black women tend to have higher incidence of fibroids. So that's the best I can give you, my sister. No, 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 that's, that's fine, that's fine. <clears throat> Really isn't a definitive answer, but there's thoughts, isn't there? There are thoughts. So please tell us a little That's bit right. about yourself before you kick off your presentation, so people know who. All right. Know your credentials. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, and again, thank you so much for having me on board. And even before I start, I just want to acknowledge the divine world and acknowledge my ancestors, those whose shoulders on which we stand. Um. So my name is Kendaki McConnell. 
I, uh, I'll start from the part that most people understand and that's having a, a degree in medical herbalism. So I am trained similar to um, a doctor. Uh, we do things like clinical skills, pathophysiology, pharmacology and all the sciences, that's our training, but we do not use pharmaceuticals. So then our training goes further now in understanding the science with herbal medicine, nutrition, drug herb interactions, lifestyle and how that affects the person. I've been in um, clinical practice for 12 years uh, working in um, a team setting. I've worked alongside endocrinologists, gynecologists, diabetic specialists, um, uh, osteopaths, you know, sports scientists. So I've worked in a team setting and that's really good because it gives the, the person a uh, Dif different mindsets can approach a particular clinical presentation in different ways. So that's really wonderful. Um, but I also like to say, you know, I've also come from a Rastafari background where we deal with natural, and that's over 30 years, dealing with natural science. And again, when I go into the presentation, I'm going to speak about that because that's key, understanding that we are part of the nature. And um, I've also been training with the Dogon people of West Africa, studying traditional medicine and traditional African science for the last seven years. Um, and I also do things like food projects in schools and food growing because I'm very much around the holistic health side of things. That's fantastic. So that is you in a nutshell. <laughs> and, sure, and there's more, isn't there? There is a lot more. <laughs> so my darling, please share your knowledge with us. So look at okay. the presentation. Thank you. So I'm gonna just try and just, you know, do this as briefly as I can. Uh, do I have the ability to share? Yes, yes you do, my darling. Okay, so um, let me know if you can see my screen. I started sharing there. And, okay, slideshow from the beginning. So I, I've taken it from the angle of dealing Sorry, with you hormones. You just need to make it a bit bigger so we can see it. We can't see it fully on the screen. Ah, oh, that's it. Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, excellent. Okay, so I'm going to just power through this. So I've, I've come at an approach of dealing with hormones naturally, but I'm going to come at it from a, a, a holistic perspective. So just to understand a holistic approach to health, um, we deal with it top down. So the first thing is to understand it's the nature and we are made from the nature. You know, we're just a part of the nature. So, but to understand that, you know, it, it's mind, body, spirit. It's also the environment. So when we look at disease, we're not just looking at that specific disease in itself and looking at how to just zap that, but we're looking at the whole person. So that's key and just to say that the world health organization's definition of health is in fact a state of complete physical mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity so you're looking at a more holistic view but we go further and look at the environment so here we look at factors that can affect your health and well-being and all of these do play a role in the human being's experience and so um, I've just put some things that can affect your well-being, things like stress, your thoughts, your environment, where you live. You know, you've got the, the, the moon and the stars, the planets. Do they affect your health? Yes, they do affect your health and well-being. Can it affect your hormonal levels? We'll look at that nutrition. OK, so the human being is mind, body and spirit. 
And when you're looking at the human being, although we are talking about a physical aspect, so it might be a, non, a benign tumor like a fibroids, or it might be an inflammatory condition, that is the physical aspect of the human being and other aspects of the human being impact on your health and well-being, your, your psyche, your emotions, and they have a direct effect on the physical body. And there's a field of science called psychoneuroimmunology that looks at the biological pathways of stress and how it leads to disease and disease processes. So let's get to the physical part of the human being, uh, which is the uh, the human physical body. Now, the human body has 11 systems. They're actually looking at another one, but okay, let's use the terminology that has 11 systems. The system that we're going to look at specifically is the endocrine system. Now, that is a system that's responsible for the hormones. And during the cycle, because everything is connected to nature, and that is so key to understand that the human being is in interconnected into the nature. So this whole idea of the circadian cycle, these biological rhythms that govern the human body and any science is really a study of the nature. So nature is that one that has, everything is within nature and then we study it to understand it. So the endocrine system, which is just one of the systems in the human being is the one that's responsible for the hormones that govern the reproductive cycle. And one of those hormones that are involved in the cycle is estrogen. And estrogen is a factor in something like fibroids. Now, Fibroids, and the doctors are going to speak more, and I'm sure the other presenters will speak more, so I'm going to not speak too much on that. I just want to speak on the hormonal aspect and then how we can look at holistically managing the hormonal aspect. <clears throat> so, uh, as you said earlier, um, between the reproductive years, we know that things like fibroids grow. And um, estrogen is a key um, component in that, in that um, in the presence of estrogen, it is understood that fibroids enlarge. Now, um, there are some other factors, and this is why we look at the home, the, the whole person. So, for example, um, the fact that people are having less children, well, that means that we are in a more estrogen dominant state because we're carrying, you know, for nine months, if you think about it, you'd have, uh, you know, a child in your womb and then you'd be breastfeeding. All of that means that your estrogen levels are lower over longer periods of time. Children, menage starts earlier. So children are now being exposed to estrogen at an earlier age because of the fact that they, they're starting their menstruation earlier. I'm just going to go over a couple obesity, which when you asked about why black women may possibly uh, be, well, the fact that we are, we do have um, fibroids more than other women, but why obesity has been um, suggested and the fact that we, again, we're in more estrogen dominance when you're overweight, but there are other factors xenoestrogens, those things that are found in our environment also interact with those receptors in our body that uh, the estrogen molecule would go into. And in doing that, when the, so for example, say fibroids, when that is kind of estrogen, it grows in the presence of estrogen. So these xenoestrogens have been implicated and there's studies by the Environment Exposure Risk and Uterine Lymoma and Epide Epidemiological Survey um, that they carried out and they, this, this um, 
study and they found, and there's been many, but I'm just referring to that one, that estrogen actually has an impact. Trauma, that also came up under black women. The fact that um, trauma is indicated and that is connected with stress and there isn't much time to speak about that, but you know, just to bear that in mind. So that's why we look at things holistically. And again, there's a research um, on that by the American Journal, Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Um, which looks at that. Now, let's get to the natural ways of dealing with estrogen excess. Now, um, so that really was just a kind of whistle stop just to give some idea of like the other factors that are involved. Exercise, why is that so important? Well, as human beings were made for movement and um, there, there are studies done by the Public Health Science Division. Uh, they did a, a, um, a study, uh, they were de dealing with cancer, but they were looking at the study and seeing how um, exercise reduces significantly circulating estrogen. And that becomes important because many times the kind of environment that we live in, you know, the foods that we're eating, the stresses that are there, we're not getting the estrogen being released out of the body. If it's not being released, then it's circulating in the body. If it's still circulating the body, then it means that these, you know, benign tumors are, are, are in the presence of estrogen, more estrogen. So this again can cause things like fibroid growth. Um, let's just move on quickly. Xenoestrogen, we spoke a little bit about those environmental. Estrogens, um, they are key, especially if we're living in the cities. It's so important. So, what are some of the environmental estrogens? Well, here we have some of them. The contraceptive pill being released into the environment through the, um, you know, flushing into the toilet, going through the the, the um, water table into the system. They found that um, this particular um, part of the oral contraceptives and it's ethenyl estradiol. Estradiol is an a estrogen, yeah, because estrogen is kind of lumped together, but it's actually three. Um, that has a, a has an effect. Uh, and this these are these xenoestrogens, the estrogens that come from outside. Atrazine, which is a weed killer. Many of the preservatives on the food are, have these xenoestrogen components because we have to remember that again, we're made up from nature. And when are these uh, products are being put together, man doesn't invent, they have to make from what's around them, natural chemistry. But these things affect us adversely. Things like food dyes, um, sunscreen, bisphenol A in plastic, you know, these are some of the things that have been indicated in these xeno hormones that are in our environment that make their way migrate into our body. Okay, how can we deal with this naturally? Now, fiber has been shown. Now, you know, sometimes in this world we think, oh, well, why, you know, fiber, you know, diet, nutrition, because we've become so technical minded and, 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 and think just on the technical side that we don't realize we are made from the nature. The human body is made from the earth, from the day we are born to the day we die. It's the food that we eat that makes us grow, that you know fixes our cells, nothing but that natural phenomena. So 
It is therefore the same nature that will have the biochemicals or the, the, the chemistry within it to heal our bodies because we're made from the earth. The human body is made from the calcium, potassium, magnesium. And so for the body to repair itself, it needs to feed from that which it came from. So therefore you have to look at specific things when you're dealing, for example, with estrogen excess. We find that fiber helps to get rid of that out of the body. And here's some of the uh, fiber and the foods that help to get rid of that circulating estrogen. The other thing is that the liver, and I'm not going to speak much about the liver, but the liver, which works in like two phases, but the liver is a key uh, organ in the body that helps to get rid of of excess estrogen. So again, what we're saying as a holistic you need to also look at not only your diet, but actually helping the liver to clear the liver takes on the, the, the bulk of the work in the body. When you eat, your food goes uh, to the liver and the liver then does what it has to do to take uh, to send it to the heart and the heart pumps it around the body. So the, the liver is key in helping to get rid of estrogen. And then, and then in that way, now we would look at certain herbs like liver herbs that helps to clear the liver, that helps the liver to function. Um, but I'm going to not look at liver herbs. Um, I have a course so you can talk about that uh, a bit later. And the course, you can talk about certain things with the liver. But certainly the liver is one approach. I'm just going to finish off now on phytoestrogens. So in nutrition, you get phytoestrogen. But specifically talking about herbal medicine, you have plants that are phytoestrogens and how they work. Those same receptors that we spoke about that are on the fibroids, for example, phytoestrogens take up those receptors. So instead of the body's normal estrogen um, taking up those receptors, the, the, the plant chemicals take up those estrogen receptors. Now, what it does is that it has a weaker effect on the, um, the, the, the tissue, whether it be a tumor or otherwise, in terms of its ability to grow. So in that way, it's called competitive inhibition, where it stops the body's natural estrogen attaching to these receptors and the um, the phytochemicals, the plant chemicals, take up that space. And by doing so, they reduce um, the effects of estrogen. <clears throat> and so this is a key one that's known. It's one that we looked at was uh, red clover. There are many phytoestrogens and um, a key one here is simisifuga. It has things like triterpenine and glyco glycosides, which are uh, chemical components. And I just want to finish here with a, um, a study, for example, that was done on black cohosh. And uh, there are many um, female issues that it helps. So it showed how it works in menopausal symptoms, hot flashes, sweats, irritability, and so forth. But what it does, so do you remember we spoke about the, um, the endocrine system and there is a, um, a part in the brain called the hypothalamus and that hypothalamus releases a particular hormone that goes to the pituitary. Now, these herbs act at that level. So that cycle that we spoke about, that reproductive cycle, which starts from the hypothalamus, which goes to the pituitary and then to the reproductive system that they enter in at that level and help to balance the hormones at that level. So we are using plants in a very natural way, just like we would use food. We then take it to another level and we use 
plant. So this um, particular research was carried out by Dr. Mayo and it was published in the Advanced uh, Nutrition Publication. So that was on black cohosh. There are many other herbs that can be used in that way. And so <clears throat> just to finish off, um, there are there is a course that I'm doing on holistic health and herbal medicine. If you want to know more, I'll drop that information into the chat box, but also there's one specifically looking at women's health that starts next week, where what I've covered here, we're going to go into much more depth. We're going to look at the reproductive system, the hormone cycles, the herbs, <clears throat> and understand how this works and how stress affects our fibroids, endometriosis, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you for listening. That's my presentation. Oh, wow. And that, oh, absolutely fantastic. And it's like you said, exercise and people who know me, exercise is key to get the balance as well as, you know, the sleep, nutrition, etc. So that is key. So I hope, you know, people have taken that on board. Xeno, what's it called? Xenoestrogens. Xenoestrogens. Yeah. Yeah. Is, they're, they're, is, that, is that a new kind of no what happens is within the world of science it's known <clears throat> but what happens is before it gets to the public it's just circulating so it's known within the medical fields and the scientific fields oh. it takes a while to get up to the public so these are well known well researched well understood factors that affect us so yeah xenoestrogen these are stuff that's out there yeah <clears throat> And good sources of fiber, you know, for me, it's kind of like brought the message home more. And I'm, I'm so glad, you know, that, you know, back into like January, I thought, right, let's, let's do this intermittent fasting, you know, mm. as well as doing intermittent fasting, it's really educated us around food. And, you know, and all these things that you had on the, on the slide, you know, dark leafy greens, broccoli, Swiss chard, whole grains, that is my diet now, you know. <laughs> And, you know, it's so important because, you know, people, human being, I think, has become arrogant where we just think, oh, oh it's just a leaf, not understanding that these are the phytochemicals that build the very cells that are in our body. Yeah. So when we think that we can surpass nature, we soon pay for it. And that's why we see all these disease processes. So, yeah, going back to nature and eating that which you came for can then give the body the phytochemicals it needs to carry out its job carry out the function it needs to carry out so it's key it is key and um, I, I mean I, I you know even you know when I start on a start on the zoom session I always say have your pens and paper and have your pads to take notes I mean I've got loads of notes here so I'm just going to quickly whisk through some of the stuff I've written down a lot of my friends have started doing liver cleanses yes whether it's a fad or you know but no and you see this is the thing um I think it's so <sighs> disingenuous to really you know say that liver cleansing or that kind of thing you know it, it doesn't have any merit because the fact is again if we go to the basic the human being for us to grow none of us you know all of us have to eat food as a baby you come and the baby's already opening its mouth to eat food so it knows already without anybody telling it that it needs to eat and it's that nutrient which you put in the body which grows you now so for then now a human being to turn around and say, well, oh, to cleanse the liver. I mean, you don't know. What do you know about the nature? You came in, you found the nature and you studied. That's what science is, a study of the nature. But we have an arrogance where somehow we feel that we are above the nature. No, 
you know everybody has to breathe eat and sleep to live in this zone you know that's the reality none of us say to our heart keep beating and then i'll wait I'll, you know i'll take over in the morning or keep breathing no all of us are subject to nature. That's the reality. And so for us, it's about respecting and then learning from nature and trying to understand. And again, coming from a holistic background, working with doctors, working with other professionals, you know, it, you see the benefit of having, you know, different paradigms for people to work in, to work with, but all have their place. So, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. And, what, and what's your view, another quick question, what's your view around CMOS? Yeah, you know, I, even when I was in the Caribbean in Jamaica, I've used CMOS for things like respiratory issues with garlic helping to get cold and things out of the body. But we use it tri traditionally to strengthen our body and so forth. So, you know, CMOS can be used in many, many, many ways, yeah. So I'm going to drop the information into the chat for yeah. if anybody's interested in the course. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to say, you know, for all the presenters, could you please put your contact details into the chat? Because I know, I mean, we've got over 200 guests on the, on the platform who are going to want to part, you know, hook up with you guys and seek out further information. So thank, thank you. you ever so much. Thank you for having me. Bless. We'll be around at the end for the Q&A. Yes, yes. We have loads and loads of questions. Yeah. Thank you, my darling. Beautiful. Right. Next, we have got the fantastic Dr. Aaron Arthur and Adora. Where are you? Good morning. Good morning. You said morning earlier to us. Morning. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was on mute. Right, so hello, good morning, welcome to the platform. Please tell us a little bit about yourselves and I've actually got some questions I want to ask you. So Aaron, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, good morning, everyone. Um, and um, just wanted to say thank you for having me on this platform today. I do, I do appreciate it and it's honoured to be here. Um, I'm, I'm... We love having you. We've actually got a man. Normally it's like two, three hundred women. <laughs> <laughs> glad, glad to represent, glad to represent. Um, yeah, so um, I'm a um, GP um, and um, I have a background with previous training in um, women's health and, and some training in medical education. Um, the reason why I um, participated today is partly because um, I had a meeting with Joan and she sold me with her enthusiasm. She's, she sounds like she's really passionate about women's health and she won me over. Um, so that was part of the reason why um, I did this. And uh, the other reason is because I have a close family member who suffered from one of the conditions that I'm about to talk about. And she suffered from it quite badly. Um, so I felt it was incumbent on me to um, have a, this kind of discussion and spread awareness about the condition. So yeah, thanks for having me. And um, I hope I can impart some knowledge. Fantastic. And Adora, who's going to be doing a presentation with you. Good morning, beautiful Adora. Morning. I haven't said your surname because I'm not sure how to pronounce it. So please. No, it's fine. It's Enechuku. I'm still not going to try and pronounce it. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. is fine. Dr. Enechuku is fine. But yeah. Uh, thank you, so thank much. you for coming on the platform. So please tell us a little bit about yourself before you kick yeah, off. Of um, so Aaron let me know about this opportunity um, and we go way back to medical school um, and as soon as he told me I was you know I was well up for it. Um, I am also a doctor, I am a little bit behind Aaron so I'm about this 
much away from becoming a GP. So I'm a GP um, registrar, um, hopefully qualifying in the next couple of months. Um, I I have obviously such an interest in women's health um, and specifically healthcare and how it affects us um, as black people. To that end, um, I actually set up a podcast um, with one of my fellow doctor friends a couple of years ago called the Glow Docs Podcast. We're on Instagram, um, but also on Spotify and iTunes. And we talk about all these sorts of issues um, every two weeks. So we um, try to educate people on lots of different things regarding health and um, lifestyle, but with a specific emphasis on black people and women, because that's what we are. and I've just I've been getting involved in these sorts of discussions, you know, just a lot recently and on Clubhouse, etc. So, yeah, oh. very happy to be here. Yes, I've, I've heard about Clubhouse. People yes. keep telling me about Clubhouse. Yeah, we actually, funny enough, um, it's funny how this worked because we actually did a talk um, on Clubhouse uh, on Thursday about similar issues. So um, I directed people to come and join in today. So hopefully we've got some people in the audience that were in that Clubhouse chat and wanted to get a bit more information. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. So welcome. So it's just such an honour to have two, you know, GPs you know, had had Kandaki's herbalist doctor. So we're going to have it from the, you know, medical side. So wonderful. So please, I'm going to be, uh, I want to ask you, Adora, endometriosis is a health problem that many women face, particularly black women. Mm. So endometriosis is cited as the single most common cause of chronic pelvic pain in women. Why, Why is that? The problem with endometriosis, and unfortunately, similar to fibroids and PCOS, is that we just don't have that much information about it. Um, how, what we do know about endometriosis is limited in general. I think for the longest time, you know, people were put down as as being pain seeking or having pain, you know, chronic pain, and there wasn't even knowledge that endometriosis was an issue for the longest time. Since we've realized that it's an issue, I think the difficulty specifically with endometriosis comes um, from how, how you investigate it. Endometriosis, just not to go into too much detail, because I know, um, you know, lots of people will be covering covering it later on, but endometriosis is essentially the lining of your uterus, that tissue is found outside of the uterus, so in different parts of the pelvis. And when, you know, that endometrial tissue goes through the normal you know, changes that would happen with your menstrual cycle and your hormones, you know, it starts proliferating and bleeding and shedding and doing all that sort of stuff outside of the uterus, which causes tremendous amounts of pain. The problem with it is that you can't see it. So you can't see those little bits of tissue um, on ultrasound scans. You can't see it really on CT scans. People are sort of, you know, you can see sometimes in reports now from radiologists, we, you know, sometimes, I don't know if Aaron will back me up on this, but sometimes I see, you know, oh, possibly endometrial. But the, the reality is that you can't actually see endometrial tissue unless you are opened up, you know, in surgery. And, and that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the main issues. So for a lot of time, it's, you know, for patients and sometimes truthfully for doctors, it's almost like you're treating a phantom um, symptom because you can't see it unless you're surgically, um, you know, looking, so. Oh, right. I, did, I didn't even realize that. I mean, I did my bit of research, but not, you know, not being able to actually see it, but you know, the, the pain and discomfort these women are feeling is real. Yeah. So they must feel so, you know, I suppose disheartened when they go to, 
you know, a doctor of whatever discipline yeah. you know, with their symptoms and because you can't see it. You can't see it. And, and if the doctor that you are seeing has, you know, doesn't have much knowledge about it or how to treat it that makes things worse yeah. and then you you know go into the into the vein of sort of mental health issues because you've got chronic pain you don't feel like you're believed you don't have treatment for this chronic pain um, and that can lead to you know anxiety depression and you know just a worsening cycle so it can be really tough yeah yeah and it's and that's why it's so important to have these discussions mm-hmm. especially like within our community because 100%. the um queens um we ain't crazy it's it's we're not crazy it's only the menopause and so many women contacted me you know oh i've got fibroids i've got this i've got you know all these kind of like you know issues going on so i'm just so happy that we're able to have yourself and you know aaron on the platform to talk about and we're going to have loads of questions at the end and please you know guess on the platform put your questions into the chat and we'll pick up some of those as well at the end so who's going to kick off first i've got a question for aaron as well haven't i Dr. Aaron, these are conditions that are more prevalent in the black female community. You know, all of the conditions that we're talking about this morning. Are there any, is there any kind of like evidence as to why this is the case? Yeah, so um, I think um, like um, um, Kandanke um, said earlier, it's, it's a difficult one. There's not, there's not that much evidence as to what's the specific reason as to why these uh, conditions happen. There's lots of studies out there in regards to risk factors that are linked to it, um, but in regards to the actual mechanism that leads to it, we, we don't have a definitive answer. Um, as Ken, Kandanke said, um, there's lots of um, discussion around oestrogen um, driving all of these processes, but again, even though we know oestrogen is linked to it, we don't know what is the spark factor that triggers off these processes, what makes these growths happen um, in the way that they happen and in the manner that it happens and why does it happen in certain people and not other people, mm. we don't know. But I think that's, 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 part of, that's, that's part of the things that we need to know, but also we need to have more discussions about what we can do to mitigate our risk. And I think that's what today is, is about really focusing on the things that we can do to you know, pr- reduce our risk of um, getting these conditions. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much for that. So who's going to kick off this? You've got, your, you've got a presentation? Yeah, I mean, I do, but I'm talking about PCOS. Yeah. Um, and Aaron's doing endometriosis and fibroids, so I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe I should go first to... All right. With, with yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I am a gentleman, though, so usually I'd say ladies first, but I guess given the flow of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just throw that out there, super. So um, I will just share my screen, uh, bear with me one second. Is my, sh- is my screen sharing? Yes, your screen is, if you just make it a bit bigger. Which will do, uh, bear with me one second. So we can see, we'll put it on full screen. Yeah, we'll do. Excellent. We good to go? Brilliant. Fantastic. So, um, hi, hi again, once again, uh, my name's uh, Dr. Arthur, and um, yeah, I'm going to do a presentation on fibroids and also endometriosis. So, um, with both conditions, what I'm going to do is um, give give things from a medical uh, point of view. I think Kandanke did a fantastic um, presentation, and she actually covered some of the things that I was going to talk about today, so she saved me five minutes, so I'm, I'm actually happy with that. 
Um, so, but I, I may just go um, go over some of the aspects she went over as well. Um, and then, yeah, what, what I'm mainly focused on today is what, what these conditions are, risk factors, things you can do, things that are outside of your power to control, how they present, how they diagnose treatment and complications and things um, relating to fertility, et cetera. So what are fibroids? So fibroids are essentially non-cancerous growths and I stress the part that they're non-cancerous um, and they mainly grow within the uh, womb or just outside of the womb. Um, they're made of uh, muscles and fibrous uh, tissue um, and they usually occur in women of uh, reproductive age. Um, they can grow from any size. So they can be as small as a pea um, or they can be as big as a grapefruit, if not bigger. So it completely varies and it differs from person to person. Um, as I mentioned before, it usually occurs in women of reproductive age. So when women tend to get older, the fibroids uh, tend to shrink. And that's partly because it's, it's driven by um, uh, oestrogen. And when you get older, when you're in that menopausal period, your oestrogen levels reduce. Um, it's difficult to know how many people exactly it affects um, and that's because there's a lot of women um, walking around with fibroids in them and they don't know about them because they're so small and don't cause any symptoms so it's difficult to um, ascertain the actual um, burden of the disease however it's suggested that it affects between two to four out of ten uh, women of reproductive age as I mentioned before and um, as as we've um, I'm sure most of us are aware now it tends to occur more in um, Afro-Caribbean women but we, and we don't really know why that is per se, um, but we do know that for some reason, um, um, black, black women tend to have larger fibroids and have more symptoms from them. Um, there's lots of risk factors involved um, in, in the condition. Some of them um, we know quite well, some of them not, not so much. Um, Kandanke uh, summarized quite a lot of um, these already, but there was, there was some of us I just wanted to quickly skate over. So um, as I mentioned before, there's certain things that are outside of your power with controlling. So the fact that you're, um, you're um, black, the fact that you have a fact, um, the, the fact that you're black, you, you, can't, you can't change that, isn't it? So that's a risk factor that you have um, that you, you can't help. Uh, have it, a family history of the um, condition increases your risk of uh, developing it as well. Um, so um, first first degree relatives um, who've had uh, fibroids increase your risk as well. Again, that's something that's outside of your control. Now, there's lots of different things you can do um, to help mitigate your risk to some degree. Um, and can then case some, some, some of those um, already. But um, with the studies I looked at, there were studies looking at um, the role of vitamin D um, and um, increasing your risk. So um, a study that I looked at um, showed that uh, vitamin D deficiency um, has been linked to uh, potential fibroid growth. That may be related to um, the role that vitamin D plays in immune modulation, um, for example. Um, and as was suggested earlier, there's um, certain foods that can increase, uh, increase your risk. So things like soy milk, um, which can increase estrogen levels, food preservatives, etc. And there's other underlying medical conditions that can increase your risk. So things like obesity, because obesity is linked with um, increased um, insulin resistance and um, estrogen production. Um, high blood pressure. I don't think high blood pressure itself <clears throat> is a, a risk factor, but I think it's because of its links with obesity. Um, and then there's issues regarding not having pregnancy. So the, the understanding behind that is that when the, the less children you have, the more cycles of oestrogen you're exposed to. So every month during your, um, your periods, you know, your oestrogen levels go up. The more pregnancies you have, 
that's less glycogen in your body being exposed to in your life period. So you're less likely to develop it because of that. Um, and um, things like stress have been implicated. And I think the, the link with stress is that um, when you have high stress levels, you tend to eat more. Um, that increases, you know, cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone that increases insulin resistance. And that can also lead to increasing oestrogen levels. So in a nutshell, a lot of this stuff is related to um, oestrogen uh, levels increasing your risk, really. Um, there was one study I looked at that was done in the US in 2012 that looked at um, hair relaxers being a possible uh, risk factor. Um, there's not that much con conclusive evidence, um, but in that study, it suggested that there's certain chemicals in hair products that can potentially um, increase your risk. But like I said, not that much evidence is out there regarding it. I, I personally think just go natural, personally, that's what I, I do. And that's how I get hair as lush as mine. So um, yeah, I would personally um, avoid them if possible. Um, so um, in regards to the types of um, fibroids, there are four main types of fibroids and they're, they're kind of based on the position of them. So um, the most common type of fibroid is um, what we call the intramural fibroids. So those are basically fibroids that occur within, if you look at the picture, they occur within the muscle of the wall of your womb, okay? You can also have submucosal fibroids and those are fibroids that occur on the inner lining of the womb. You have subserosal fibroids, which occur on the outside line of the womb. And then you have what we call pedunculated fibroids. So these are basically fibroids that are connected to little stalks. And those can, those can happen inside and outside of the womb. And the problem with these ones is the stalks can kind of twist on themselves. It can be very, very painful. In regards to the symptoms, um, I kind of broke them up into three different classes. Um, so you have symptoms that you can get because of abnormal bleeding. You have symptoms that you can get because of having a large mass in somewhere where it really shouldn't be. And you can have problems with uh, fertility. Um, in regards to bleeding issues, you can have issues with heavy bleeding or painful periods. Um, you can get bleeding in between your periods and uh, during sex. And I think with those two, um, with those two symptoms, I just wanted to highlight them because those two symptoms can also be uh, can also occur in other conditions like cervical cancer. So if you do get those kind of symptoms, it's always important to talk to your GP about it just to discuss whether that's something you need to rule out. Um, you, some people may have very um, um, innocuous or mild symptoms like tiredness or dizziness, and that's because if you bleed heavily, you can end up getting anemic, um, which leads to um, um, those types of symptoms. Um, in regards to symptoms regarding um, mass effect, as I mentioned before, I'll talk about that on the next slide um, because um, it, it illustrates it a bit better. And then fertility issues, I'll talk about them again on a later slide. So um, if, you, if you look at the first picture here, just imagine it's your body from a sideways point of view. So if you took one of these massive fibroids here, imagine it was at the front of your, uh, your womb where your bladder is. So if you had one there, your bladder wouldn't be able to fill as well as it should be. Um, and therefore you're gonna need to go to wee more often than, than usual. If you had a fibroid at the back of the womb where your bowels are and where your backbone is, it can press on the bowel and therefore make it difficult to pass stools and therefore you can become more constipated and also it can push on your backbone and lead to back pain 
Um, if you had a lower fibroid, um, that could lead to problems um, with um, pain during sex. So this is just to highlight that um, you can have lots of varying different symptoms depending on the size of the fibroid and where the pos position of the fibroid is. And that's why, you know, people can tend to get different symptoms and not, not one person's symptoms is the same from the other person. It varies. Um, in regarding um, diagnosis of uh, the, um, the fibroids, um, the first line treatment, first line um, investigation would be something like an ultrasound, because it's something that a GP can, um, can organize the cheap and easy to arrange. Um, and that usually can show up um, the, the fibroids, even small ones, but sometimes those can be missed. And so sometimes you may need further investigations and that can come in the form of things like hysteroscopies, which is a procedure where um, a camera is attached to a scope and that's inserted through the vagina and into the womb and that can allow direct visualization of the fibroids. Um, you may have to go for um, something a bit more um, um, upscale like a laparoscopy, which is basically keyhole surgery, because as I mentioned before, some of these fibroids can occur outside the womb. So um, something like a laparoscopy may be needed to directly visualize it. And it can also be removed while the surgeon's in there as well. And sometimes um, things like CT scans or MRI scans are used. They're not really first line, but sometimes because some of them aren't really showed up well on the um, ultrasound scans, these modalities may need to be uh, utilized. Um, in regards to management, it, it depends. Everyone is, is different. So it depends on the kind of symptoms you're having, really. For some people, you can take a watch and wait approach. So like I said, if you have a tiny fibroid that's the size of the pea, not causing you any problems at all, as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So if you're not having any problems with it at all, then you don't need to do anything. Um, from a GP point of view, um, there's different options that your GP can um, offer you. Um, so there's things like tranexamic acid and methylamic acid, which are basically in the same family of things like ibuprofen. So those help with the uh, painful and heavy um, um, bleeding that you can get with um, this condition. And you can also be offered uh, different types of uh, contraceptions, um, depending on what's more appropriate for you. So for some people, as a, just as an example, the combined pill, um, which contains oestrogen and a hormone called progesterone, may not be beneficial to you because you might have a history of uh, blood clots or um you know um issues with obesity or smoking which are things that um, might preclude you from being making that a good choice for you and um, so other alternatives may be um, um used which are pro progesterone based rather than um oestrogen based there's also uh, medications called uh, gonadotropin releasing hormone analogs so what these do is basically they target the hormone that um that controls oestrogen so by reducing the oestrogen levels you're basically shrinking the um the fibroids and that's the idea behind that and then there's surgical options so i won't go into super details about those because i'm i'm not a surgeon um, but i'll just basically um highlight what what they are really so you have a uterine artery uh, ablation so what that does is it basically um cuts off the blood supply to the uh, fibroids and by doing that you're basically starving the fibroids so just imagine someone starved you of your food you'd start to shrink and a fibroid is basically just like that so if you cast the blood supply to it you're cutting off what feeds it and therefore it starts to shrink um there's a procedure called radio frequency ablation so that's where they use a a probe to basically heat up the fibroid and again that causes it to shrink 
uh, endometrial ablation is where they um, basically use a laser to um, remove the lining of the inside of the womb uh, to get rid of the fibroids. Um, and there's uh, some more invasive procedures. So you have myomectomies, and that's where they basically cut out part of the womb that's contains the uh, fibroid, but it still keeps the fibroid, so it still keeps the womb intact. So that's probably a better option for people who um, of childbearing age who still want to uh, have children. And then there's um, hysterectomies, which is a last resort. This probably wouldn't be something beneficial for someone who's younger and still wants to have children, of course. So this is probably something for someone who's older or in a uh, last case resort where all other treatments have failed. But I think with all of these options that are available, it's something that you would discuss with your, your, your surgeon if it ended up going down that line. And you would have to look at what um, treatment modality is um, the most viable uh, for yourself. Um, yeah, in regards to uh, complications, um, the complications kind of depend on um, the size and the uh, position of the uh, fibroid. So um, there's there's lots of um, there's lots of possible complications. A lot of them are rare, but it's just I'm just going to highlight them to just give an idea of some of the things that could potentially go wrong with uh, fibroids. So um, in fibroids, there's a risk of uh, preterm labor. Um, depending on the position of it, um, it can increase your risk of uh, miscarriages, but again, that's very rare. Um, it can um, increase your risk of needing a C-section depending on the position of it. Um, as I mentioned before, there's um, links to fertility uh, problems. We don't exactly know why um, it affects your fertility, but one of the theories is regarding uh, the position of the um, um, the fibroids. So if you imagine the fibroid was, um, for example, blocking the fallopian tube um, or the entrance to it, um, the fertilized egg wouldn't be able to come down um, the fallopian tube and embed itself in, in your womb. Um, or if you had um, one that was um, lower down, it could cause a similar type of issue as well. So, so that's fibroids uh, summed up. So what I'll do finally, I'll, I'll go over endometriosis um, and talk about um, some of the similar uh, factors regarding it. Um, Adora gave a lovely introduction into um, the condition. Um, so I will just lead on from there. So um, endometriosis, as um, Adora mentioned earlier, is, is essentially where you get tissue that's normally supposed to be inside of the womb developing outside of the womb. It can end up literally anywhere. It's, it's such a random condition. And that's why it's really hard to diagnose it. You, it can um, end up in, in the bowels. It can end up in your gut. It can end up in your lungs. Very rare, but it's, it's a possibility. So that's why it makes it very difficult to, um, to, to, to diagnose. Um, it's the second most uh, common gynecological condition after uh, fibroids. Um, and as I mentioned before, because of the variation of where it can, the, this, this tissue can end up, it means that the, the presentation of the condition can vary as well. Again, similar to fibroids, it's hard to say how many people it affects because you get pe some people, some people who don't get any symptoms at all. So um, it's hard to say, but it's estimated that it affects about 10% of women of reproductive age. Um, fibroid, sorry, endometriosis has been found in 30 to 50% of women who have fertility issues. So that gives you an idea of um, how much it, it can potentially impact uh, fertility. 
And um, also it's important to note, it doesn't just have an impact on um, your physical health, but it can also have a massive burden on your mental health. It can have a massive burden on your sexual health and your sexual relationships as well. So that's why it's such a problematic condition. That's why it's important for us to talk about it. Um, in regards to the causes, unfortunately, I feel like that's going to be the theme of today. We don't entirely know what causes uh, the condition, but there's lots of different um, theories or hypotheses in regards to what can potentially be the um, mechanism of action as to how these things happen. Um, there's a link in uh, family history. So um, having first degree, first degree relatives who've had the condition increases your risk of having it. Um, there's a theory called uh, retrograde uh, menstruation. So basically, if there's obstruction to the outflow of, um, of uh, menstrual tissue um, uh, every month, for example, if some people have had um, female genital mutilation where the, um, the vagina has been closed up, or if they had some structural abnormalities that prevent um, them from having um, regular flow, some of that tissue from the womb can track upwards into the uh, fallopian tubes and the wombs and can embed themselves there. So that's one theory that has been suggested. Uh, there may be immune issues, so it, it may be an autoimmune process that's happening where the, um, the immune system, which is usually there to fight off um, infections, um, attacks its own body and your, your own sort of healthy tissue. Um, there's a theory about um, lymphatic spread. So the lymphatic system is basically a collection of uh, glands and um, vessels that help um, the immune system do its job, basically. And some of the tissue that's found inside the womb can, can track through that system. And that's probably a theory that kind of explains how you can get tissue that's supposed to be in your womb ending up somewhere as far as your gut or your lung or where, wherever, because it's kind of spreads through this um, system. And then finally, um, metaplasia has been suggested as a, as a possible um, cause as well. So this is where you get one type of cell that mutates into a different type of cell. So you can have um, a cell in one type of body that ends up changing into the tissue that you find in your um, womb normally. So lots of different um, suggestions and theories as to why this happens. Again, not entirely sure, but these are some of the theories that, that have been suggested recently. Um, in regards to uh, risk factors, um, a, a lot of it, again, is um, oestrogen related. Um, so things like um, having early onset uh, periods or late menopause or not having children, that's all around um, increased um, exposure to oestrogen. Um, I saw studies that suggested um, having late sexual encounter being a risk factor, not entirely sure why that um, is, um, but that's also a factor. And as I mentioned before, anything that causes obstruction to the outflow of um, you know, um, the products of the womb can um, um, increase the likelihood of this happening. Um, Although, although um, yes, it is possible, um, it, it, is, it is a condition that affects uh, black women. Actually, studies have shown that it's actually more prevalent in white women, but it still has a, a, a great degree of burden in black women as well. And other issues like having a low BMI and smoking as well have been um, implicated in increasing the risk of developing the condition. In regards to symptoms, um, as, as mentioned before, it can, it can vary. If you look at the, the list of the symptoms here, those are the exact same symptoms I listed with fibroids. So it can vary. And um, uh, another issue with this condition is it can mimic other 
it, it can it can mimic other benign conditions and it can mimic other severe conditions. So it really is a difficult one to um, pin down. And sometimes it can take quite a long time to get to the diagnosis because it can be missed on scans very easily. Um, and and that's, that's that's essentially what I summed up uh, just now. So you're yeah, very difficult to um, very difficult to uh, um, dif differentiate it from other conditions, and very uh, difficult to uh, diagnose. Um, in regards to the um, the modalities used to uh, diagnose it. Um, the first line from a GP would be um, you doing something like an ultrasound scan. But again, as, as Adora uh, suggested, this can be easily missed on the ultrasound scan because the, the amount of endometrial um, tissue that you, you, you have that's um, being driven by this condition can be very small or it could be very large. So it's hard to find on scans sometimes. Sometimes you may have to have um, a, a keyhole surgery because that will allow the, the surgeon to directly see this abnormal tissue outside of the womb. And in that procedure as well, they, they would they would usually get rid of the the, the, the tissue um, as well, and also um, using um, more um, um, higher resolution scans like MRI scans give you a bit of a better chance of seeing um, this abnormal tissue. Um, but again, um, it can still be missed, so it is difficult. Um, in regards to uh, management, uh, again, it, it varies. Um, you can do nothing if you're not having any symptoms uh, from the condition. Um, but um, from a general practice point of view, you may be offered uh, things like simple analgesia, so uh, things like paracetamol or ibuprofen. Again, hormonal treatments um, can be used to um, treat the, the symptoms as well, similar to um, that um, offered in fibroids. And um, then there's surgical um, options available. So um, things like keyhole surgery, or sometimes you may have to have open surgery, which is what uh, a laparotomy is if keyhole surgery is not the most appropriate option. Um, there's lots of uh, different um, um, homeopathic uh, treatment options that have been uh, implicated in the management of uh, the condition, such as uh, acupuncture, reflexology, herbal medicine, etc. Um, the, the evidence um, in regards to the benefits is uh, limited, but it's not to say that one um, is not allowed to uh, try them, because like I said, some people may not um, want to go down the, 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 the chemical route or the surgical route or what have you, and may want to try these other alternatives. It's just to highlight that we're not entirely sure um, um, statistically what the benefit um, of them is, but um, more than welcome to try. Um, as I mentioned before, um, um, th there's lots of uh, potential complications um, related um, to uh, the uh, condition. And again, we don't entirely uh, know why that is. Um, it may be because, um, just as an example, you can get this abnormal tissue that grows in the fallopian tubes and therefore blocking it. Therefore, the fertilized egg can't come um, down from the ovaries into the womb um, and then thus um, causing difficulties with um, fertility. Um, um, surgery can be an option in regards to um, helping treat the condition, um, but it may not always be successful. And sometimes people may need uh, extra help um, in the form of things like IVF to help them uh, with uh, conception. 
Um, adhesions is a is a, a, a possible um, side a complication as well. So this is where basically when you get this um, abnormal tissue growing outside of the womb where it's supposed to be, this tissue can be really sticky. So for example, if the tissue if if this abnormal tissue ended up in your bowel, for example, it can cause bits of your bowel to be more sticky. That can be quite irritating and also very painful. And sometimes you may need surgery in order to break that up. Um, and you can also get um, um, cysts that can form. So if, for example, if you get this abnormal tissue in your ovaries, um, that can form large cysts to form, which can also be painful and can also rupture as well. And there's also uh, surgical complications that um, one needs to think about as well. So um, common things like um, uh, pain after procedure, infection, bleeding from the procedure, um, failure to treat it, um, and also, you know, um, even if you have surgery, some of it can still come back again. So that was a uh, basically a whistle stop tour through um, endometriosis and um, and and fibroids. Um, I think probably the, the key take home messages because I don't want to leave you with a doom and gloom message. So, like I said, there's some things that are out of your remit to um, control, and um, such as having a family history of the condition or um, the fact that you're um, uh, black that's not something you can change it's not I don't think it's something you would want to change um, but in regards to lifestyle um, 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 changes just like uh, Kandanke um, summed up very beautifully there's lots of um, things in regards to uh, diet um, and exercise that you can do to help reduce your risk of developing some of these conditions so I hope um, that was uh, helpful to you and thank you for having me Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Aaron. So informative. Okay. And, 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 you know, to actually go into the detail and to see on the slides, especially, especially in regards to the different places in which these fibroids, you know, little devils can, you know, start to grow. So it's just, oh. And it's really good that you spoke about the vitamin D as well. There's a huge drive, especially, you know, in this pandemic, the drive for people to be more healthy and, you know, be aware of getting their vitamin D, being outside for at least, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour to get the sunlight and what little bit of sun we can get at the moment. One of the, um, I've had a quick look in the chat and somebody was saying that it took them 19 years to get a diagnosis. That's goodness. Yeah, yeah, like, like, like I said, because it, it's, diff it's a difficult one because like I said, a lot of these conditions mimic of it, just just an example. So some I don't know if everyone's heard of irritable bowel syndrome, mm -hmm. which is a very common thing that can um, happen. It you you can those symptoms can mimic the symptoms you get in in endometriosis mm -hmm. or fibroids, and it's it's very easy for your doctor to just say, oh, I think you've just got irritable. But I'm mm -hmm. I'm guilty of that sometimes as well, yeah. uh, because sometimes you just have to see how things go. Sometimes, um, mm -hmm. so you you may mistake it for something like irritable bowel syndrome when actually something more else going on exactly something else may be going on so that's what makes it uh, difficult but i think it's important to if, if if your symptoms do persist go back to your gp and and, and then the, the most likely to look into it further if things don't yeah. settle down that's usually the way uh, yeah. things go yeah and another thing that i picked up you know some about them actually growing back yeah. so what's the, do we know sort of like in what percentage of women these, these actually grow back once they've been removed no, again, again, it's, it's because it, it varies from uh, person to person. Mm. Um, I think the, the, the more fibroids you have, um, the more likely you are to have them grow back. Um, 
but for people who've had um, smaller fibroids, um, one, you wouldn't do anything about them anyway if it's not bothering you because, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, even though surgery is an option to treat them, there's so many complications that can happen with these surgeries. So mm-hmm. if you have a small fibroid, you wouldn't want to do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, 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 there, there's definitely a, a possibility of them growing back if, if you have a, a larger number of these fibroids. Even more like the doctor's ones, which I'm kind of like... I could get the co-host to mute everybody. Right, so Adora, thank you so much, Aaron. That was excellent. Okay. Really, really thorough, informative. So, you know, we've had a like a biology lesson, lesson there <laughs> and really got into, you know, in depth around, you know, fibroids and endometriosis. So thank you very much for that. Okay. And we've got the lovely Adora coming up next. He's going to talk about polycystic ovaries. Yeah. Um... Could you stop sharing, please, Aaron? Oh, yes. Thank you, darling. I told you I was rubbish with computers. <laughs> um, I'm not great myself, but I'll try and see if this works. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, we're there. Um, start from the beginning. Oh. Great. Um, thank you. Um, and thank you, Aaron. Very, very, very informative, very concise. Um, so as I said, I am going to be um, talking, sorry, just one second. I've got the image on the side of my screen and I can't get rid of it. Oh. Okay. Sorry, give me a moment. Just need to enlarge it again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> can you still see my screen? Oh. Can see we can see your screen. Just need for you to enlarge it again, my darling. Okay. You know what, I'll just carry on. Sorry, there's something on the top that's not letting me play it, which is annoying. Oh. Oh, there we go. Okay, great. Um, so as I said, I am talking about polycystic ovary um, syndrome. Um, so it's a really common syndrome um, that affects how women's ovaries work um, and the balance of hormones um, in the body itself. Um, it's quite common. Um, we think it affects about 10% of women in the UK, um, probably you know, closer to in between 10 and 20% um, actually. And the vast majority have well, not fast, but the majority of women actually have no symptoms. Um, and for, for a lot of people, it won't actually, um, you know, necessarily negatively affect them. However, it is the leading cause of infertility um, in women and um, especially in black women as well. Um, so if we are, sorry. If we're talking about the um, actual main features um, of PCOS, you have to have two out of the three um, to actually get a diagnosis. Um, but the first one is irregular periods. Um, and the reason for that is because um, 
ovary, your ovaries are essentially not regularly releasing eggs. So um, you're not ovulating. Ovulation is what triggers the body um, to release hormones, um, which, you know, essentially can prepare you to get pregnant if you if you wish to. If you're not regularly ovulating, um, then you will end up having irregular periods. Um, and just to be clear on what irregular periods actually are, um, we have a sort of wider um, range um, than people might think. So normal periods is between 21 to 35 days. So if and, and that's between day one of the period. So, you know, that means that actual, norm, actual normal periods can um, be anything from about three weeks in between to more, more, more like five weeks. Um, and you can also get quite heavy periods as well. So that's one of the main features. Um, another main feature is excess androgens. So high levels of male hormones, specifically testosterone um, in the body. Um, and that can cause physical signs, um, which, you know, some of you might be aware of. So things like excess facial or body hair, um, also known as hirsutism. Um, you can also get acne um, as well. And then finally, uh, actual polycystic ovaries. Um, so funnily enough, if you can see at the top, two out of three gives you the diagnosis. So you can actually have a diagnosis of poly polycystic ovary syndrome and not have polycystic ovaries. Um, but if you have the other factors, um, then, then you could also have that diagnosis. Um, so hopefully you can see the picture on the side. So essentially an, an a healthy ovary um, has, you know, normal follicles, you have a developing egg, and then it's released when you ovulate. When you have polycystic ovaries, um, you have lots and lots of these follicles, um, which are taking up space, they make the ovary quite large and bulky, and they do not, you know, develop eggs effectively. And therefore that that can cause um, the issues with you ovulating. Um, now, in terms of the signs and symptoms of PCOS, um, a lot of them will be similar to what we'd mentioned before. So obviously, if you have, you can have irregular or prolonged periods, you can have quite heavy periods, um, you can have uh, cramping and bloating during periods, um, and linked to the hormone issues as well. You can have problems with um, growth of, of unwanted hair, but then you can actually also have hair loss where you want it. So you're growing chin hairs, but losing hair at the top of your head. Um, and then acne is also an issue as well, but then you have more systemic problems um, that can be associated with polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, so, and these often tend to be linked to the imbalance um, of, of hormones, specifically, um, you know, testosterone and androgens and insulin as well. Um, so a lot of people can feel quite fatigued. Um, you, can, you can experience quite rapid weight gain and actually find it hard to lose that weight um, as well. And there's also, um, you know, issues with, with mental health as well, psychological issues, so stress, depression, um, et cetera. And then if you add the pelvic pain on top of that, you have um, a nice little cocktail of signs and symptoms. Um, so in terms of what causes it <laughs> to, to, to join with Aaron, I think a lot of these things will be similar in that we don't know the exact causes, but um, there are lots of causes and, and lots of things that we hypothesize um, around. A big thing for PCOS is that it tends to run in families. We're not sure why, um, but I think similar to fibroids as well, there does tend to be a genetic link. Um, but the main issue that we know is that there's this problem with hormone levels. Um, so essentially what happens, and the, you know, the main thing that will cause a lot of problems is that you have high um, insulin levels in your 
body is resistant to insulin. Um, so insulin is the hormone, just you know, to, to make it a little bit clearer, insulin is the hormone um, that helps take the sugar in the body. So if you eat you know, carbs, bread, sweets, whatever, it needs to be broken down and taken into your body cells to give you energy. Insulin is the hormone that helps to do that. Now, what can happen um, or what happens in polycystic ovary syndrome is that you have the insulin present, but the body is resistant to it. So it's not taking up that sugar into the cells um, to use for energy. And what happens is you have lots of floating insulin and lots of sugar as well um, in, in, your blood, in your blood that shouldn't be there. And the problem with having um, excess sugar in your body and being resistant to insulin um, is that that can affect you in lots of different ways. So first of all, um, it can cause you to be overweight or obese um, because, and that in itself can then, it's, it's a cycle, which I'll show you on the next slide. Um, that itself can also, um, you know, increase the amount of insulin that your body needs. When you're not breaking down blood sugar, um, your, um, when you're not sort of metabolizing your blood sugars appropriately and taking them into the blood cells, you get physical symptoms as well. So um, common symptoms are that people feel fatigued, they feel really tired, and also you feel hungry, um, which then makes you eat more and then the cycle continues. Now, the problem with having excess blood, um, excuse me, excess sugar that's not being metabolized in the blood um, is that that puts you at risk of developing health problems later on. So when you're in prolonged periods of insulin resistance, that can lead to type two diabetes, which is one of the main risk factors um, of, of polycystic ovary syndrome. But in addition, that also leads um, onto cardiovascular issues as well. So that can also predispose you to high blood pressure and high cholesterol, because it's, it is all sort of more of a balance. And hopefully this <laughs> makes it a little bit clearer. So if you see at the top, um, you know, you're eating, you eat carbs, your body makes insulin, fine. The cells are resistant to that insulin. Um, they're not they're not taking the sugar into the cell. So then that sugar actually is stored as fat, um, which then leads to the weight gain. Because you're not taking up that sugar into the cells to give you energy, carbohydrates are really good for energy. Um, you know, they're, they're the body's ideal to use for quick burst energy. Because you're not taking up this sugar into the cells to use for energy, you feel tired, you feel hungry. And then the cycle continues. You eat more carbohydrates to get that quick boost, you know, um, and then you're making insulin, but nothing's going on. You feel tired and hungry and the cycle continues. Um, so when it comes to black women specifically, once again, the research is limited, um, but we do know that black women have higher levels of insulin resistance. Um, and we know that black women have higher rates of obesity. And there's certainly a link between the two it can be a bit of a chicken and chicken or the egg scenario, which one came first, because I don't think um, there's, there's enough evidence really out there um, behind PCOS in general, but also, you know, behind the, the links and, and, and things between black women and, and, and other women of color. Um, but we do know that because we have higher rates of obesity, we also have higher levels of insulin resistance. And then both of these can affect fertility and your cardiovascular health. So how can we treat polycystic ovary syndrome? So it really depends on the symptoms that you have. I think it's different to a lot of the other ones in, um, or a lot of the other sort of um, reproductive conditions in that 
there, there can be points where you might not need any treatment entirely. So if I go back just to refresh your memory, if you have um, any one of these three main features, so if you have irregular periods, if you have problems with excess um, male hormones, so testosterone, um, or if you have polycystic ovaries, how they affect you will depend on how we treat things. So if we start off with irregular periods, um, the main thing that that, that is recommended is the pill, the combined oral contraceptive pill. Um, and the reason for that um, is because it, it's sort of a two-pronged approach. So if you have any issues um, with regular periods or irregular periods, you want to regulate them. If I get, um, sorry. If they're the same. Very loud. If they're the same. Thank you. Um, so if we're talking about the combined pill, um, the issue with irregular periods, because you might sit and think, well, actually, what's the issue? If any of you have suffered from anti-flow, you'll actually be quite happy to not have a period at all. But the importance of us actually having regular periods um, and what we class as regular periods is a minimum of three periods in a year, um, is that it protects the lining of the uterus. The issue with periods and with ovulation um, and things like that is that when an egg is released, that stimulates, um, um, that obviously that's ovulation, but that stimulates um, the breakdown of the lining of the uterus and you shed it. If that doesn't happen, you don't shed the lining of the uterus, but it keeps proliferating, it keeps growing. And when you have uncontrolled proliferation and growth of the uterus, um, of the lining of the uterus, that can you know, put you at risk of endometrial cancer. So that's why it's really important that we are ovulating regularly. And that's why if you do have irregular periods or no periods at all, then the combined pill will help to regulate things in some way and at least you know, ensure that the lining of the uterus is being shed. In addition, because of the hormones, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's giving some estrogen, it's giving some progesterone, the symptoms that you, that we have with the unopposed male hormones, so with the excess testosterone that causes the issues with hair and things like that actually also helps for that. So it can help with hair problems, it can help with acne as well. And then on top of that is a contraceptive. So that's what, that's why we recommend the combined pill um, for people who have irregular periods. Um, now, if you have uh, more of the hormone side of things, so, um, you know, let's say you have problems with insulin resistance and weight issues, um, what will tend to happen is when you're investigated or when your doctor does see you, they, um, you know, similar, similar to before, they might do a scan to see if you have actual polycystic ovaries. Um, they should, if, if they're going to give you that diagnosis of polycystic ovary syndrome, but they will also do some blood work as well. So if they found out that you are insulin resistant, you know, your blood sugars um, are elevated, for whatever reason, because we know the risk that, that that can give in later life for you know heart problems um, and even fertility problems, we normally recommend a medication called metformin. Um, now metformin is, you may have heard of it if you are type 2 diabetic or know anybody who, um, who suffers from type 2 diabetes. Um, it's licensed to treat type 2 diabetes and we have to remember it's actually not licensed for treating PCOS itself. 
but it is um, it can be used off label to treat to treat these sort of side effects. Um, and the reason that we like metformin is because it lowers the um, the insulin um, levels and the and the blood sugar levels in women with PCOS. By reducing those levels of circulating sugar, where you're um, you know you're increasing um, the the likelihood of the sugar being taken into the blood cells um, and thereby reducing the risk of um, heart problems and cardiovascular problems in the future, but also helping manage weight as well. You know, if we, if you go back to that cycle that we spoke about earlier, um, what people don't often know is that there is a link um, specifically with insulin levels and excess um, sugar in the blood. Um, and there's a link with that and fertility as well. Um, and that can also, reduce the risk of miscarriage actually. So by controlling the sugar that's um, in the blood cells and making sure that um, the insulin levels are lowered, that can also um, stimulate ovulation. You know, it helps to encourage regular periods actually, as well as the combined pill. And then that thereby lowers your risk of miscarriage. Um, so how it tends to affect most people, as I mentioned earlier, is with regards to fertility. So I think the important key is that most people will conceive naturally. Um, obviously that's not the case for a lot of people, but the vast majority of women will. So um, it is really important. I think mindset can be really important in these sorts of cases. If you have a diagnosis of PCOS, it doesn't automatically mean that you will struggle to conceive. However, if you do, there are different options um, that, that we can try. So what will often be recommended, um, you know, either by your GP or by um, your, your gynecologist or specialist, if you end up needing to see somebody as a medication called clomiphene. So you normally take it at the beginning of your cycle um, for a couple of months, and that um, encourages ovulation. So we already know that, you know, the polycystic ovaries, um, the main issue is that they're bulky, filled with follicles, and we're not ovulating. Um, so taking this medication actually encourages ovulation and hopefully increases the um, chances of falling pregnant if you so wish to do so, if you wish to do so. Um, if clomiphene doesn't work, metformin can be used as well. As I mentioned, it's not um, specifically licensed for PCOS, but it can be used off license um, to help to help with fertility. Um, if both of those are not effective, then the next steps tend to be things like um, hormone injections um, or IVF treatment. Um, and then in some cases, we also do go, um, go on to surgery. So some people will get um, ovarian drilling um, done through a keyhole, which is where they um, actively actually try and remove um, you know, some of those, some of those follicles and, and, and cysts that are um, affecting your ability to ovulate and produce much excess hormones. Um, so that is it <laughs> from me. Um, I hope that was helpful. Apologies for my issues. <laughs> no, no apologies necessary. Adore, fantastic presentation. Thank you so much. So in depth. I've actually learned a lot and I didn't really you need to have two two out of the three symptoms to be diagnosed. So that's something that I've learned this morning. And weight. I didn't realise that weight was such a big, big factor in, in this. Mm. You know, so that's what sort of like triggered in me, you know. If anybody has any weight issues, etc., you know, please contact me. Come on the 30-day intermittent fasting challenge where you'll learn about food, you'll have an eating window, and you will somehow dropped the pounds all of us within the group we've dropped the pounds 
you know. So, you know, if anybody wants to come on the Queen's King's 30-day intermittent fasting challenge, which is kicking off on the 1st of March, you know, it, it's, a, it's a different alternative, I suppose, to going down the medical, taking the drugs, etc. You know, if, if you can lose weight naturally to kind of like combat this condition. So, yeah, it's very, very, very um, thought-provoking. And it, and it always, you know, you find with this session, it always goes back to the key things, you know, it's about your diet and your lifestyle, isn't it? It's to combat a lot of these different health conditions that we have in, in, in our community and the link to, towards the insulin as well. I didn't realize it had a such uh, correlation there. So thank you very, very much for that. I just want to remind um, guests on the platform to hear about, because um, I know a lot of people are, are coming in, you know, all now, almost an hour later, um, to hear about future Queen events, Queen Walking Group events. Um, please follow us on Eventbrite. And please note that this Zoom event is being recorded um, for release on our YouTube channel. So um, if you go to, if you look for Queen's uh, Lockdown 2020 series, this recording will go up onto the channel in a few weeks time. Okay. Thank you so much, Adora. And could I also ask the presenters to please put their contact details um, into the chat. Um, somebody was asking Adora about um, Glowdocs. So you could put some um, details into the chat about that. And people want to get in touch with you there. All right. So swiftly moving on to our next presenter. And we have the fantastic Imani. Oh, hi there. Hi, everybody. Hi, welcome to the platform. Welcome, welcome. Great to be here. Great to be here. Oh, thank, thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. So please tell us. So please tell us a little bit about yourself before you kick off. Okay, well, I'm a qualified holistic health practitioner. I also um, qualified in acupressure. Right, you start. You've you've been muted. So um, if you unmute yourself, please, darling. Or if um, Rudy, can you unmute Imani, please? Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah. So you've started. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now, but your presentation isn't up yet. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm a qualified holistic health practitioner. I'm also specialized in acupressure. Um, I myself um, found out I had fibroids 15 years ago, and I went on that journey of healing myself um, to shrink them naturally using holistic um, strategies. And so my work is um, as a fibroid coach is supporting other women to do the same. Um, and it's not a one-stop shop. It's very personalized. Um, every woman is different. And so um, I work with them in a range of ways, but today I'll be more so looking at breath work and energetic work really with clients. Okay, fantastic, thank you. So I'm waiting for, I'm eagerly awaiting your fantastic presentation. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, for me as a practitioner, we, we look at diets, we look at exercise, we look at herbology, you know, thank you Kandake for such a you know, great presentation um, around holistic health. And thank you for the others as well. Fantastic and informative presentations. Um, my approach is, is very holistic. It's looking at lifestyle changes, really. The things that we have to take on board, um, first and foremost, um, in terms of healing ourselves, getting the body back to that natural environment, that net nature environment that um, it does so well in, you know, divine 
energies. Um, our creator has given us everything that we need to um, in terms of healing and keeping the body maintained. However, we're living in a, a, an environment, in a society which is quite toxic actually. And so a lot of my work looks at toxicity and how to eliminate toxins from the body. So, but because of time today, um, Joan, I'm just gonna be focusing on, on the importance of breath. Okay, yeah, right. and um, so life is absolutely dependent upon the act of breathing. I thought that was a really important quote to put down really. We take it so much for granted. Every day we just get up and we start breathing and um, we're not really cognizant of what is actually taking place in the body when we are breathing. However, I teach my clients to breathe correctly because, um, because of the culture that we're in now, because of lifestyle, because of stress response. In many many of us- interrupt you, darling. There's a couple of people saying that they can't see, they're not seeing your screen, but I can see it. Can everybody see yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's there. Yeah, I can see it. Okay, sorry, continue. It's okay. So I'm looking today at the stress response and how that links to fibroids in terms of toxic overload and estrogen excess. Okay, so not only are we dependent on breath itself, it's critical for our wellness and longevity. Um, however, if we are taking on incorrect breathing patterns, that can actually exacerbate some of the, our health conditions. So incorrect breathing, and I'll show what incorrect breathing is and what correct breathing is. Um, incorrect breathing can create painful cycles, painful periods. It can create fatigue, mood swings, but it can also create stagnation in the blood so that the blood flow during our menses is very irregular or very clotted and heavy. Um, the quality of the blood, for instance, it can darken the blood as well, rather than that rich um, blood flow that we're meant to be getting. So incorrect breathing can lead to toxic overload and that's where it can contribute to estrogen excess, which could then lead to, to fibroids. So yes, you know, something else that a lot of women with fibroids will experience is that overcalcification of their fibroids. That's where the fibroids can get very hard you know, I don't know if people can testify for that. If you have fibroids that you know, when you feel your tummy, it's quite hardened. And that's because at, the fibroids can grow quite fast. And there's a lot of research to show that for black women, the accelerated rate of fibroids growing is often quite higher. And we need to look at why that is. So when the fibroids are growing, they can outgrow their own blood supply. And that can result in a process called degeneration, um, called high line degeneration. And this degeneration can encourage an overproduction of calcium, yeah? Now, it's wonderful in one way, the body is creating this overproduction of calcium to protect the body, to protect the major organs. However, an excess of calcium um, is not a good thing, and, but that calcium shell is forming around the fibroid mass to protect and buffer. But as a result of this um, mass getting hard, it can create a great deal of pain and discomfort for women with fibroids, but also it can actually start to uh, make it quite difficult to then um, to shrink naturally. Yeah. So that often leads to women making other decisions around, um, you know, cutting them out and so on. 
So we have to look at the fact that the, the, the mass of the fibroid can dissolve. And that's what I work with women on around the dissolving of those masses using herbology and so on. So it's during this calcification pro process and phase that the fibro tends to be the most prominent. That's when we tend to feel it and detect it. And then we, we go for an ultrasound or an ultrascan um, to check it out. However, my, my key thing is calcification is telling us that there's a pattern of excess here. There's something excessive going on in the body. And many of um, the other practitioners have spoken about the liver being a critical organ in terms of its role of detoxification. So in some way, as a it, it alerts me that the liver of a client might be sluggish. You know, it's not doing its job as effectively. Um, the detoxification process might be obstructed or, or hindered in some way. And the body's not able to shed the excess calcium um, that it's being retained and stored. And also the excess estrogen that is building up as well. So one of the first things that I look at with women is detoxification. You know, we look at diets. Um, we look at the quality of air that they're taking in and whether or not they're breathing correctly. We look at the attitude to life challenges, you know, because a lot of trauma um, gets stored in the body, as we know. And I'm not just talking about now, I'm talking about historically and genetically as well. You know, the cells have a memory. And so how do we work through these things to actually make sure that we're not suppressing um, any toxins through trauma? So correct breathing um, as opposed to incorrect breathing. Now, in terms of correct breathing, that's when we are breathing through the nostrils, not the mouth. Uh, many people are suffering with um, asthma and so on. A, a lot of that could have stemmed from the incorrect breathing young, as a child, where they're breathing through the mouth. The, the wonderful thing about the nostrils is that it has its own filtration system. It has the hairs that of the lining that allows the, um, the air to be filtered and warmed up before it reaches the lungs. It's particularly important now during this COVID as well. Um, and... The fact that we're breathing through the nose will increase the vitality um, of our health and start to help us to reduce um, symptoms such as asthma and, and respiratory problems. So the first thing is really breathing through the nostrils. Um, the second thing is reducing the um, breathing from the upper chest. When we breathe from the upper chest, we're not taking in as much oxygen, we're not taking the, the body through um, the calming down of the nervous system. And we can only do that by um, applying lower abdominal breathing as opposed to chest breathing. Because as soon as we apply lower abdominal breathing, the vagus nerve in, in the diaphragmic area of the lower stomach starts to get activated. And that has a direct correlation with the hypothalamus and the brain. It's telling the brain to relax. So when we're not breathing in that way, we're always in a fight and flight um, situation. We're always responding from the upper chest, very shallow, very short breath. And that is leading to a lot of um, anxiety, um, emotional tensions and so on. So many of the GPs that I work with, in fact, 50% um, more increase during the COVID and lockdown of mental health challenges due to anxiety, 
um, and worry at this time. And people are referring clients to me because of the breathing techniques that I, that I do. So this lower abdominal breathing, and we're gonna go for a very short practical in a while, um, helps to look at emotional balancing. It balances out the nervous system. It actually keeps our hormones balanced. You know, many of us, we spoke a lot, a lot about the hormone imbalance um, that could lead to unwellness. It increases our mental capacity, our mental power, but also there's a sense of calm, a, lot, a sense of harmony, self-control and clear-sightedness as a result of breathing in this way. And the reason why this relates to fibroids is that there's a direct correlation between the lungs and our blood, you know? Um, unless we are really getting fresh air in, you know, in sufficient quantities and that fresh air reaches the lungs fully and effectively, then there's a, full, a foul stream of toxins in the venous blood that cannot get purified and subsequently that could rob the body of nourishment, you know? And in fact, what ends up happening is that that gets decirculate, recirculated around the body rather than, than being um, expelled. And that can lead to um, toxicity. So the impact of incorrect breathing is that only a shallow a portion of the lung cells are brought into play. You know, um, so the, the, the greater portion of the lung capacity is lost. And if our respiratory system suffers this type of under oxygenation, then it will impact on the quality of our blood and also the blood flow. And this can lead to toxicity, which can then contribute to fibroids. And I say contribute because as many of the speakers said, it's not one thing. We have to look at um, fibroids as being um, a symptom of something greater, you know, it's telling it's telling us that the body is not in balance. You know, there's an excess issue going on, um, and that could be um, due to a range of contributory factors. This is, um, you know, a picture of someone recently, a, a client who um, came to me after having her fibroids out. Actually, um, she had um, eleven fibroids, and um, she didn't want them to return, you know? So she had, she had a myomectomy, but she didn't want them to return. So she sent me the picture just to share the fact that these things usually stem from toxicity and toxicity can come from stress also. It's not just about diet. It's not just about the exotoxins in the products that we're using, which has harmful chemicals. It's not just about our lack of exercise and so on. There's a host of contributory factors. So in order to cure ourselves, we have to look at a holistic lifestyle change. <clears throat> so what I'm gonna do now is, you know, explain to you about chi and energy in its first place, really. This is something that we can't see, but it has a massive impact on our lives, our living and our health. And this energy is all around us. And yes, we breathe it in and we can also get energy and chi through live foods. You know, when we eat a majority um, live raw diet, that brings us um, into contact with a lot more energy into our body system. So um, live diet, raw diet, as much green cruciferous um, vegetables, 
a lot more fruit, you know, actually aids in our health and well-being in terms of el eliminating and helping to shrink fibroids. Um, but energy can, mainly comes through our body, through our breath, you know. So going out every day just for a walk to, to, to breathe in, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it's the greatest air, <laughs> but it's all that we have right now. And, you know, to breathe in rich, full um, air is really critical at this time especially where many of you might be working um, in situations where you have to wear the masks and so on. You know, the nose and the mouth were designed um, to take in oxygen. So when it becomes strained and inhibited in this way, it can, it can actually lead to long-term illnesses um, escalating. You know, the carbon dioxide is the vehicle that allows the organ systems to eliminate waste. So when this process is obstructed and restrained in some way, especially now as we're wearing masks, it can put a lot of strain on the heart and lungs. And what we're finding is um, the blood quality of women's cycles is actually changing as a result of that, because they're, they're finding that they're not able to eliminate the toxin through correct breathing. And it's leading to um, creating an acidic environment instead of a balanced pH environment. So it's really important and I emphasize it and it's free of charge. Get, go out there and take that walk and breathe in, you know, that air and really strengthen um, the, the lungs. It's quite critical, not only for respiratory health, but overall health and fibroid health. OK, so um, when we're taking in this oxygen, we're also taking in qi, energy. OK, and the traditional Chinese uh, medics. Um, also have another system called the meridian channels, you know, um, the, the, another system where energy flows through our body and it goes directly to each of our organs. So there are certain meridian channels that link to the lungs and link to the liver and link to the kidneys that if we are not bringing in enough chi energy, those meridian channels can get blocked and stagnated, which could lead to clotting blood, heavy cycles, um, irregular flow of cycles, etc. So I teach women exercises to improve and enhance their quality of energy that they bring into their body system through diet and also through womb exercises um, and energy, energy balancing exercises, but also breath work. So what we're gonna do um, is we're going to just do a very short exercise, a practical, where I'm going to just ask you to sit upright in your chair and just relax, your back straight, but nice and relaxed. And what I want you to do is concentrate on breathing into the count of four with your lower abdominal, just below your belly button, pushing outwards. So as you breathe in, I want you to push out your lower abdomen. And then I want you to breathe out and I want you to draw in and pull in your lower abdomen. Okay, so as you're breathing in to the count of four, you're pushing out your lower abdomen and then you're breathing out, you're pulling in your lower abdomen. So you're breathing in pushing out your lower abdomen and breathing out, 
pulling in your lower abdomen. Breathing in, pushing out your lower abdomen and breathing out, pulling your lower abdomen in. You're breathing in, pushing your lower abdomen out. You're breathing out, pulling your lower abdomen in. You're breathing in, and you're breathing out, pulling your lower abdomen in. And what this actually does, you can keep breathing like that as I'm talking, is that it attaches the vagus nerve, the diaphragmic center to the spinal column, to the brain, and starts to create that sense of inner peace and calm and harmony. Because it tells the hypothalamus to cut out the fight flight mechanism and allow to create those happy hormones, you know, the dopamine, the serotonin starts to flood your body system naturally. So you're in control of stimulating these hormones just by working towards creating more calm and relaxation in our day to day, because we are one of the most busy people around the world. And it's really important that, you know, we stay well. I mean, obviously, if I was working with a client, I would do a whole range of different breath work activities. There's different breath work to cleanse the body. There's different breath work to energize the body. There's breath work to detoxify um, and, and so on. So really, it's about creating an environment of peace, which is nature itself. You know, nature vibrates at a certain frequency. And so when we can get our body and mind to align itself with that vibratory frequency, we can, the healing can begin. Because if we're not creating that environment and we're using a host of other things and diet and so on, it's still not go going to be as effective, as efficient as if we were creating a, um, a balanced environment and then doing that work around diet and exercise and so on. You know, it's like putting a, a, a fish, you know, a fish that's unwell, putting it into a toxic stream, you know, it's not going to get well. But if we put it into an environment that reflects, um, you know, peace, nature, harmony, then it will start to be able to um, heal itself. So for those who want to get in touch in terms of fibroid coaching or life coaching, but specifically I work with black women around fibroid coaching, looking at a very holistic approach to healing and how to shrink the fibroids naturally, they can get in touch with me here. Um, I've walked that journey myself. So I think that's quite important sometimes to know, yes, you know, what things have worked and what things haven't, but it's, it, it's very important that um, we understand that healing is very person-centered. You know, we have to look at the whole person in order to know then what, what's going to work for them. And I also signpost to um, herbologists and so on to look at uh, fibroid shrinking formulas as well. 
Um, and it's been really amazing. There was a woman who, I mean, I, I didn't, I'm kind of being, being very graphic here, but sometimes women share the actual images of the fibroids dissolving and coming out, you know, which is an amazing liberating thing. Um, and, and it makes people want to obviously get motivated to do more to heal themselves because yes, it formed through an unnatural environment of overtoxicity, and therefore we have to have the confidence that, um, you know, in most cases, we can actually reduce and shrink them and actually sometimes fully eliminate them. And, but we also have to appreciate that conventional medicine is, is also important. Um, it has its place. And I would just say that is not the first go-to place because we're always about self-care first, you know, teaching people to, to heal themselves first and foremost. So um, thank you for listening. I, I have um, created these posters with some GPs in Suffolk where I live, which um, are sold to the practices because sometimes people want something tangible to go away with um, in terms of they might be anxious about what might be the signs of, of fibroids. You know, the, I have a checking system of some of the things that could be contributory factors that they can check for. But also there's a guide as well, if they do have fibroids, some of the things that we really have to get in place in our lives to help towards, help the body to heal itself. So if anyone wants those. And I will be lecturing very soon with Noir Wellness with Candice Bryan, and there's going to be a, a massive um, fibroids launch. So if anyone is interested in that, they can contact um, Candice as well. I can send this to Joan. Um, to send out to everyone. So thank you everyone for listening. I know it was quite short, but you know, hopefully I'll get to talk um, longer next time. Thank you very much for that, Imani. And you know, um, if you could please um, put the contact details, the information into the chat, because I'm sure the chat is actually gonna be blowing up now wanting to get the information from you. So thank you very, thank you. very much for that. Lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle change is key. We talk about that almost every week. It's a, it's a salient thing that comes up almost every week. Lifestyle changes, healing the body. And that is a concept that we really need to embrace now. And correct breathing, I like that. Holistic lifestyle change, um, the chai energy. So hopefully when we do the um, retreat, maybe we can pull in some bits and pieces from you for that and ways in which, you know, I didn't even realize why these particular, particular breathing techniques, you can, you know, cleanse, detoxify, etc. the body. So that's a fascinating stuff. Thank you once again for a amazing, brilliant presentation. And you're gonna stick around for the Q&A at the end. And we've got loads of questions, <coughs> excuse me, coming into the chat. So let's move on to our last presenter, Valerie McKen founder of Womb Health and Wise Health. Are you ready for us, my darling? We're ready for you. Uh, We're ready for you. Yes, oh yes. Yes, um, last but not least. And um, I've got an easy job to do because everybody else has covered everything. So <laughs> I've got the easy job. <laughs> now, I just wanted to start off with um, a little bit of trivia, actually, probably a, a more of a do you know? You're going to tell us um, about yourself. Tell us a bit. Of oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yes. So let me, let me share. OK. 
Can I share? Because you've been on quite a journey with the with fibroids, etc. So yeah. Um, so when it comes to sharing yeah. my screen, hold on a minute. Let me just do this. Oh no. And you might need to adjust your laptop a bit because we can. I can see it to the top of your head here. Oh right. That's it. Oh, let Come me on. just sit back. Let me just sit back. Relax. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> we got you. <laughs> Hold on, let me just. Uh... That's it. So it's coming. Can you see that? Yeah, we can see it now. Right, okay. All right, so a little bit about me. Um, so this is me. So um, my name's Valerie. Um, I'm the founder of Woman Wise Health, which is a natural healing practice uh, specifically. Uh, formulated well it was brought about by my own suffering with fibroids and seriously heavy bleeding so I'm a nutritional therapist a vegan nutritionist detox specialist raw food chef and teacher I'm an avid fibroid researcher dedicated yogi and I was diagnosed myself with fibroids in 2002 I have also had two surgeries um, specifically after the first one, my fibroids started growing back. So for me, it was after I found myself in hospital in 2017 with severe anemia, I thought, okay, enough's enough. I really had reached my enough point by that time. Um, so this is what I do. I dedicated my um, life to it since 2017 doing a lot of research around this and mostly trying to find out the reasons why it was black women who were mostly affected by this I mean it's a global issue and it affects all women but specifically it were for black women were adversely affected or disproportionately affected and I really needed to understand why that was um, but before I get going um, I wanted to do a did you know? So did you know when it comes to fibroids, you should be, especially when it comes to the monthly cycle, you should be wearing nothing more than a panty liner. If you're wearing essentially what I call a nappy, which is a super plus plus pad, then obviously that's a sign that something's wrong. As or has already been dis, um, covered, fibroids or any kind of abnormal bleeding is a sign that the, bod the body's not happy. So I'm not going to go too much in about the problem because we already that's already been covered. So we already know what the problem is. But what we really need to uh, understand is why fibroids develop. Now, this was taken from the NHS website. So where they say the exact cause of fibroids is unknown, and you'll see this pretty much anywhere. Um, so the medical industry always says that they don't know what causes fibroids and that there's no proven measures that you can take to prevent the fibroids from developing. Um, but so what they'll do is that they'll end up treating it. Obviously, as already said, this medical medicine has, it, has its place. But medication and surgery has been proven time and time and time again 
not to be effective, what it does is, is actually suppresses symptoms. And that's okay if you're in pain and you just need something quick. Um, but, so, but at the end of the day, it's all about holistic healing. So when we look a bit further into the studies in regards to fibroids, um, this study specifically, as you can see, it's from the PubMed. Um, so this study is called the Epidemiology of Uterine Fibroids, um, a Systematic Review. Um, it was this one's from 2017. So epidemiology is the study and analysis of health and disease patterns in certain populations. So if you have a look at the conclusion there, you can see what they say. So we identified 12 risk factors, some of them which has already, again, has already been covered, that play a, an important role in uterine fibroid epidemiology. The, the um, uterine fibroid risk factor with the strongest evidence is black race. Oh, hell, okay, we're black. That's it, that's your risk factor. Um, so, and I thought, okay, when, when, if that's the case, then why is that? But it's the why I was trying to find out. Again, we've already covered the risk factors. And one of the things that comes up over and over again is the black race, obesity, vitamin D deficiency, and all those good things. If you look at, there's a study that's done by the government which is called the Health Disparity Audit. And that will show you, that will give you like by ethnicity, the, the, um, the factors that affect certain populations, whether it's regard to um, mental health, um, physical health, housing, things like that. It goes on to, it lists all of them. And when it comes to health, especially mental health, things like that, black people are always at the top of that metric and not necessarily in a good way either. So my goal was to clarify or try and do my best to find out what that was. And so with the digging and the digging and the digging, I came up with three main factors. These, these were coming up time and time again, which is toxicity, poor diet, and stress. And no, this is no matter where I've researched, it comes back to these things time and time again. And we've, again, we've already covered it. My job's been made very easy. And so the, the fact that the fibroids are worse in black women is simply because, again, because of all the research that I've done, and like we said, if we go backwards, a lot of people say we don't know, but I've looked at this because I've studied and I've studied, and I've also looked at um, books by uh, Joseph Dash and other well-known black holistic health teachers, and it comes down to biochemistry. So I just want to quickly touch on this. Now, don't be alarmed by this, but this is the one fundamental thing that I've learned about healing when it comes to the human body. 
So you can see clearly from this, this chart here, this graphic, uh, that shows the biological differences between women who are eumelanin dominant, which is on your left, and compared to women who are pheomelanin dominant. Look at the different pathways. You can see they are clearly different. Pheomelanin is the red-yellow pigment and is nitrogen and sulfur-based, whilst eumelanin is the brown-black pigment and that relies on selenium. So there's a fundamental difference there. So when you have any kind of test, all the reference ranges, and there's a lot of studies that are out there to, that show this, they are based on pheomelanin. So any treatment you get, any medication you get, will be based on pheomelanin. Okay, so that would suggest we are not doing things that are suited to our biochemistry. I'm not a biochemist in any way, but this is what I found out. So if you're not doing the things specifically for your biochemistry, which is you melanin okay you'll be you'll be doing things using things and consuming things and and that are not compatible with your uniqueness so when it comes to in terms of the world we live in we live in a vet what i've realized especially over the last year is that we live in a very very abnormal world nothing is what it seems so when it comes to toxicity there's hundreds upon thousands of toxins that are pumped out on a daily basis added to our foods as well added to the skincare products we use and all the other products we use household products for instance so you we know there's toxicity absolutely everywhere we cannot escape them unfortunately um, unless we go and live in a bubble somewhere. And so, so when we take in these products, we're taking in them through our skin, our hair, through our digestive, the air we breathe, the food we eat, etc. So, um, So you've got external and internal toxins. Okay, so like I said, they're pollution and it comes in two forms. So you've got the exotoxins, which are your external um, toxins. And then you've got your endotoxins, which are your internal toxins, which is naturally produced by the body by its very processes, you know, that, that it carries out on a daily basis. So a toxin is described as any compound that has a detrimental impact on cells or cell structure. So it can be man-made, like I said, with air pollution, skincare products, even sanitary wear as well, medication, and like I said already, the um, generation of natural body functions. So what toxins tend to do is that they can cause mutations of the cell. So fibroids are tumours where the cells have mutated. So, but what you need to know is what's causing that muta mutation. 
over time, what tends to happen, especially with external chemicals, is that these build up in the body over time. So I've often heard that these certain particles or toxicity in small amounts won't cause any damage. But what they don't say is that these actually accumulate in the body. So this is an example of um, a scan of one of my clients that was last July. So this is a human toxicity analysis report card. Um, and I see this a lot and you can see you've got electromagnetic radiation as a toxic pesticide residue. Now, of course, with 5G, that's gonna, that'll probably hit red at some point. So out of all the scans that I've done since last year, the human toxicity, this, this particular report is consistent pretty much with everyone. And the toxic pesticides residue that could be from the food you're eating or just something that's been that's in the atmosphere as well. Another uh, assessment that I do is called the five toxicity questionnaire. So this was done last September on a client. So as you'll see here, her status for heavy metals, uh, chemical toxicity, gastrointestinal toxicity, liver toxicity, and we've touched on that, and mycological toxicity has been assessed and scored. And the mycological toxicity, if you're wondering what that is, is includes molds, fungus, viruses, bacteria, bacteria, worms, essentially living pathogens. And this is what's not being assessed. When you, when you go for a test or have a, a scan of um, an MRI scan, ultrasound when you're, um, or when you're having anything assessed in terms of that, or the heavy periods, the heavy, clotty, painful periods, uh, the higher these scores are, the more symptoms you're going to have. So the scores here are generally moderate, but so that tends, that suggests that this person needs detoxifying. Now, as a detoxification specialist, and I know sometimes detoxification is poo-pooed, but detoxification is nothing more than you giving your body a break. All you're doing is that you're putting foods and herbs in the body that's going to help support what the body does all day every day particularly at night which is why sleep is fundamental if you don't sleep you're not going to be clearing the body properly and one thing you don't want to be doing when it comes to this questionnaire is moving into the severe category because that's where your symptoms will be escalated you'll again it's the cramping the bloating the heavy, heavy gushing. Okay, so this is what I mean by underlying causes. So when we're looking at the underlying causes, these are the kind of things that we're talking about. And another thing that's been touched upon is stress and the disease. Then there's loads of studies out there on this, and this is just one of them. So from this published report, um, there's a quote that says it's clear that such psychological stresses 
can lead to the alterations of internal functions down to the biochemical level. That's in this report and that they are potential causes of disease. That's this published study right here that says that. And this is something I've been, this is my own, been my own personal journey as well. In order to heal, you need to be mentally, emotionally and physically ready. And I find that a lot of women are physically ready, but not necessarily mentally and emotionally ready. And that is key. So um, the first main cause of fibroids, however, is your hormone, hormonal imbalances. So whilst we looked at toxicity, we looked at stress and we looked at diet, these all cause hormonal imbalances. But the number one catalyst is stress. So, um, and there are plenty of clinical studies, as it says, that, um, that document the impact stress has on human beings. And, but stress is a biochemical disruptor. It really is. Um, because this was already covered it, uh, in terms of stress, that it triggers the production of cortisol and cortisol is a stress hormone and it's released um, into the body as a way of giving you energy to as a boost so that you can un, um, overcome the stress that you're uh, that's whatever that's stressing you out so like in normal circumstances that's not an issue but when it becomes dysregulated um, it will have an impact on your health and again We've already covered it, but it does cause blood sugar imbalances. The blood sugar balances leads to increased inflammation, which in turn puts stresses, puts stress on the adrenal glands. Um, this thing that gets dumped into the brain, disrupt, disrupting the pituitary glands communication with the womb. Okay, so another study. So earlier I mentioned the three factors that contribute to the growth of fibroids. And um, so also what does not help is an impaired and sluggish liver. Again, so you see how this all correlates now and you've got poor gut health as well in, in terms of that because the body functions as a whole, not just one as the sum of its parts. So alongside chronic inflammation, estrogen dominance, um, and the disruption with the endocrine gland, all these factors contribute to the formation and growth of fibroids. So it's, it's believed that fibroids, um, estrogen promotes growth by upregulating the inflammatory markers called cytokines. Um, but estrogen is not a bad thing. It's because it's a hormone that plays a really big role in both men and women, but we do not need excessive amounts. But there's another thing that I've also looked at, which is called aromatase. So this research, so there's research to show that in androgens, i.e. the male hormones like testosterone and DHEA are converted into an enzyme called aromatase. So aromatase is particularly pronounced in black women. So in this study, 
you've got the con the conclusion states that leonoma tissues from African American women contained the highest level of aromatase expression, which may result in elevated tissue concentrations of estrogen and account for the higher prevalence of earlier incidents. So aromatase, where it tends to be found, is in the adrenal glands, the ovaries, the placenta, uh, testicles in men, brain and fat tissue. And uh, high levels of this enzymes convert testosterone and progesterone into estrogen, causing hormonal imbalances, otherwise known as estrogen dominance. So if the estrogen um, if, so if the underlying causes are estrogen dominance, inflammation, high aromatase expression, all caused by poor diet, stress and toxicity, then all we have to do is tidy up our diet, de-stress, detox, and that will reduce the toxicity. Easy, right? So when it comes to treatment options, in the natural realm, let me just say this from the start in terms of you, you can't just take a few herbs and a few supplements and expect the fibroids to melt away or drop out. I wish. And so it depends on the size of the fibroids. It's going to take consistency and dedication. The quick, the fix is simple, but it's not quick. So this is easy. But I find that just a clean diet, hydration, sleep and de-stress, de-stressing for most people, that's a struggle. It, it, it's, that looks easy. It's just four things. But for so many people, it's a big str struggle because I speak to so many women who want to shrink, eliminate, obliterate, blast out the fibroids. And honestly, I cannot blame them. But. If I always say to women who just go, right, if I take this, can I shrink the fibroids? I say, if you want to get rid of them quick, especially if they're big and you've got multiple, just have surgery, just have them removed. Not the womb, just have fibroids removed. Um, but so natural healing, it does work because I've done it myself, but it takes a lot longer than you think and depending on what you do and how fast you do it. The body is more than capable of healing and we uh, we just really do not appreciate what the body is capable of. But you have to be give it a chance and be patient um, because there's plenty of women. And I can tell you now, because I've spoken to hundreds of women that have gone down the natural route and given up because they just have they either haven't got results or because it's not working quick enough. So I'm going to give you eight, eight steps to healing fibroids. So this is quite simple. So it's just eight things, raw fruit, greens and veggies. So those of you who have been doing your intermittent fasting with, with the queens, then you may have been eating more raw fruits and vegetables, especially when we're coming into springtime where the focus is on the liver because liver is the wood element and that relates to spring. The wood element relates to spring. So that's the time to really get going and start cleaning up the liver. 
So if you want to truly cleanse and heal your body, remove the heavy bleeding and start um, melting away fibroids, which will take time, um, diet, a change of diet is crucial. Um, but again, it's very hard for some because we are addicted to the foods that are contributing to the growth of these fibroids and causing heavy bleeding as well. Because certain fruit and vegetables, why I bang on about it, is because they contain certain compounds that reduce inflammation and are natural aromatase inhibitors, okay, such as chamomile, celery, parsley, which is why you'll get some people say drink celery juice um, um, every day. So the next one is water, hydration and minerals. The human body is 70% water. So water is going to just help you flush out those toxins. Um, it's going to, and many health conditions, in fact, can be eliminated just by upping your water intake, especially if you suffer from migraines and headaches. Sometimes it just might be due to dehydration. Um, so you can try lemon, ginger, cayenne pepper. Um, these are all lovely warming, cleansing herbs and spices um, that will gently begin cleansing the body. So the next one is to eliminate synthetic estrogens, and you can do that with herbs. Um, avoid hormone meat, meat and dairy products, soya products, um, and you might want to replace all your beauty care and personal care products with natural um, products and where possible avoid plastics even though that's not that's really difficult again detox 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 I always say it's best to have a detox clear the body of everything of all the toxicity it's impossible so that's why you need just to support the organs of detox detoxification because you need to be doing that all the time anyway and it's so it's safe to say that anybody with a cyst or any kind of tumor you need to cleanse um, so as you remove the toxic load from the body the body will begin to naturally remove the growth as well because it's now got it it's now got those channels of elimination that are more open so the body can move things through so i find that a detox is the most crucial step in healing simply because you're spring you're, you're essentially spring cleaning your body from the inside out so when it comes to the number five is to balance hormones good quality herbs um you'll take these herbs ongoing um, due to the constant exposure of external estrogens and you'll need a herbal prescription that you'll that will need to be checked every three to four months and our sister can Daki can certainly help with that move so when it comes to moving your body we were designed as as with the human form is designed to move we are not designed to sit here idle all day every day which is what some of us do especially if we're working from home and it's, it's one of the best preventions when it comes to health issues. Because um, you're, you're going to be moving your body, you're moving your blood and you're moving your lymph system. To, and it, it keeps that from getting stagnant. It's, you know, cysts, fibroids, tumours and all that are all the result of stagnation in the body. So this is 
so simple things like yoga which is one of my favorite because that that's like a moving meditation power yoga especially but you've got pilates stretching gentle things like walking or even just a gentle jog around the park or something dealing with stress we've been through that so i won't go too much into that and another you know exercise is also a great form of release when it comes to stress and of course check your vitamin d levels now sunshine is probably one of the best the darker skin the more sunshine we need because i know there are that people are out there who go oh i don't like the sun it's too hot it's too hot it's like what are we vampires we only come out at night i don't think so so we need to when the sun comes out if you've got a clean i wouldn't say toxin free because that's impossible but if you've got a clean cleanish body because that's all we can do then the chances of you getting sunburn are lessened because i wouldn't say use sun lotions because um they're full of toxicity and you've already got a natural barrier um, our, our, it's not an, it's not even a barrier our skin is designed to take in uv rays and then convert um, that the sun's energy into vitamin d as long as you've got the liver working got the thyroid working the whole endocrine system is functioning if it isn't then yes you will end up with burn and think burning etc so those are my um eight steps to healing fibroid system tumors um if you want i've got a facebook group on um called womb wellness warriors where i give hints tips and suggestions i also do one-to-ones um i am looking to do sort of like more longer length courses just to break down these things um because you it, it is fundamental to our well-being that we actually just look more take more um focus more on our health and well-being now so that's me done and thank you for listening i hope i haven't bored you too much <laughs> oh no no very 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 informative thank you very much for that and detoxification i've made a few notes as always um i didn't are there many of you around detoxification specialists can you hear me Do you, what the, are you speaking to the rest yeah, of them I'm speaking to you my darling oh Do yeah the, sorry what did you say what was your question so I was saying, I was saying, are there many of you around detoxification specialists? That's a short answer because we're, we're running so behind. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's a. So you want just to know more about what it is? No, I was, I was asking if there's, if there's lots of you around. I've never heard of a. Oh, I don't. Oh, I, I, I know this. That I know of some who are, but most oh. of them are US based. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's that's interesting. So on my list, sleep is, and I, I, I admit it, I don't get enough sleep. So I'm going to really make an effort because it's one of the salient themes again that come through each of our, our forums. And that natural healing, I like the power. People don't realise, like you say, that how powerful our bodies are, constantly adjusting and readjusting, you know, hormones, etc. So it's really important, you know, the same way in which we go out and we buy expensive clothes, we'll spend heaps of money on our hair and other stuff. We should treat our bodies the same way. 
So I think, oh, I think he's, he's muted you. I better, I better move or I'm going to get myself into trouble. <laughs> so we're going to go across to Nadia. My darling Nadia, who has been monitoring the chat. Um, we can pick up a couple of questions. Yes. Okay. okay. Um, we have got... Uh, right. Um, right. So we've got... Um, uh, how do these problems affect a lot a few questions about um in contraception um and and whether that um uh, is part of the problem okay so who would like to pick that up um aaron is that one for you yeah so um with with with, with contraception um if you look at combined, um, the, the combined pill, that, that does contain oestrogen in it, but it also contains uh, progesterone in it, which is the, the whole reason why you have two, because when you have unopposed oestrogen running around your body, it can lead to a whole list of uh, problems, like things like um, fibroids and cancer, what have you. So um, it, it contains that other hormone in there to reduce the risk of that happening. And a lot of the other hormones, like um, the other the other contraceptives that you have, are all progesterone based. So those don't drive this oestrogen problem. So basically, long I'm I'm going a long way around answering the question, but essentially they they, they don't particularly increase your risk um, of getting those conditions per se. Ideally, they, the the aim is to um, reduce your um, oestrogen exposure with those um, options. Okay, thank you for that. Um, next question, Nadia. Do, do fibroids shrink during menopause? Do they actually shrink? I, I've got six and I'm, <laughs> they told me that it weighed three, three kilos. All right. And Dora, would you like to pick that up? And they should shrink. Um, they do shrink for the vast majority of people. Um, just because if you think about what happens in menopause, um, you're not ovulating. So your levels of estrogen in the body drastically drop. Um, and that's usually what um, is, is feeding the growth of the fibroids um, to, to say the least. So they should shrink. Um, but it really just depends on you, how many you have, how large they are, if you've, you know, got I don't know, 10 huge ones, they might shrink, but they are, they'll still be physically present, if that makes sense. And that's why for a lot of women, um, surgical management might be recommended if they don't shrink enough, and they're still causing you a lot of discomfort. Um, then, you know, if you if you're no longer getting benefit from estrogen from the ovaries, then they might just recommend removing the, um, the uterus in, in general. Um, is there a holistic alternative to the IUS, um, Maridin Coil? Hi, Kentucky, are you on the platform still, my darling? I am. Um, can you that? hear me? Yep, can hear you. Um, well, because of how the coil works, obviously it fits right there in the womb to stop, you know, the egg actually implanting. So the idea is to stop the egg um, going into the womb. Hear this, my sisters. Use the rhythm method or use, if not even rhythm method, use abstination. So <laughs> you control yourself. Get, so that is, a, that is a real way. You know, um, 
when I was in the hills with Rastafari many, many years ago, one of the things that, and it really was a, a control. There are certain times within our women's cycle, and that's how I first really got to know my cycle so well, is that, you know, I could tell it exactly to the, the minute it was going to come. And what happens is there's certain times when you ovulate. And obviously to not have children, you do not get intimate within that time. But what does that require? It requires self-control. Now, that is also a part of holistic health because this emotion, this, this sexual drive, it gets nothing in a lot of trouble. <laughs> it's the truth. And that's the one. It's just like the addiction of sugar. It's the one that is very challenging to be able to um, manage. So that is also part of holistic management. That is a reality and people do use that as a mean to control. So um, that, that actually, I would put that as a real um, uh, uh, alternative um, in terms of if you want to control, um, you know, having, having children, I'm, I'm gonna put that one out there. Yeah. Nadia, yes. next question. Thank you very much for that, my darling. Yes. What does a shorter men's teal cycle indicate? Um, then it says 18 days to 24. Sometimes I'm having two periods a month. Mm. I think I touched on that earlier, didn't I, with the um, irregular periods. So 24 days is normal. I think you have to make sure you're counting correctly. So we count day one of a cycle as the first day that you start to bleed. So that 21 or 31 days or whatever is between the first day you started to bleed on this period and then the next and, and the same on the next cycle. Um, so 21 is the lower end of normal. So if you're saying 18 to 24, a lot of them might be normal. I think with periods, it's really, you know, a big part of it is knowing your body, but often things will fluctuate and change according to what's going on around you, whether it's stress, whether it's weight loss or weight gain. Um, emotions have a big part to play in why the length of periods might fluctuate. Um, 18 days is on the shorter side, but I think if you, what, what most doctors will do is, you know, sit down and look at all of your periods over a long period of time. So they'll say, okay, in the last year, exactly how many periods have you had? And then when you actually average it, you might find out that it's within normal limits. Um, so so I'd, I'd just say maybe if you're concerned that they're shorter than normal, um, create a diary and just write down the exact time, you know, each period started, how long it was for, when it stopped, and then, take that to your doctor. They'll more than likely calculate an, an average and it might be normal. Lovely. Thank you very much for that. Um, One more. Does, yep, okay. Does the polycyst over in, oh, I can't pronounce them properly, syndrome continue into an after menopause? Yes. It does, okay. That was straight. Um, and and that's, that's, you know, if that was the last one. One uh, more. Oh, One no. more. That was a nice short answer. One more. <laughs> Yeah, it will so if I, I can expand on it if that helps um so yes it does continue but um as you know going back to what the three main things are the hormone abnormalities they will not necessarily change so the big issue with polycystic ovary syndrome is the insulin resistance that doesn't make a difference um you know when you go through the menopause so if that is primarily the fact that the factors and the side effects that you're experiencing then it will continue after the menopause but if it's more polycystic ovaries less so all right one more nadia 
Okay, yeah. So um, when you're highly deficient in um, vitamin D, um, does, does this sort of contribute a lot? Because you've got um, people in the tropical countries that still high have an incident with, um, say, fibroids. Oh. So what does that play? How does that play with, with, with the balance of... Um, yeah, so this, the, the problem is because with fibroids, it's it's most like again, like we like I said, we don't we don't fully have the answer, but it's most likely a multifactorial um, condition. So yes, um, vitamin D deficiency can play in, um, a role because um, vitamin D plays a role in immune modulation or, or regulating your immune system. So um, even though let's say in um, warmer climates, you're getting a sufficient amount of um, vitamin D, there may be other factors that might play a role which can still drive um, the pr um, process that causes fibroids happen in the um, still. So for example, um, like we mentioned, well, obesity is still an issue. There's an issue with family history. So all of those factors, despite you having enough vitamin D, are still going to be factors that are still going to lead to the fibroids happening. Fantastic. That's it for me then. That's it. Right, I'm going to open up the platform. If anybody would like to ask a question to any of our guests, to our panellists, this is an opportunity to do so. Um, if you could put your hand up in the chat, put your camera on so because we don't like talking to a black screen and just say who you are and where you're, you're calling in from. So we'll take probably two or three questions. If anybody wants to put their hand up to ask a direct question to any of our panelists, that will be fantastic. So let's see if anybody comes through. I can probably take one more question, which will give people an opportunity to formulate their question, put their hand up in the chat to ask any of our panelists a question. If not, we're going to be winding down the show. Yeah. So we'll take what if you've got one more question. Oh, someone's raised their hand. Okay. So I've got Yvonne DM. Hello, Yvonne. Welcome to the Queen's Health Talk. Hello, good morning. If you could say who you are and where you're calling in from, and if you could have your camera on, that would be wonderful. So we know who we're speaking to. I don't know. Um, Rudy, could you um, unmute her? Maybe she's having difficulty on muting herself. Right, let's take another question, Nadia. I don't know what's happened there. Save the delay. If you've got one more question. Um, oh gosh, you've caught me there, haven't you? <laughs> uh, so we've done contraceptives, we've done the um, cis. Um, if anybody, oh, someone's got their hand up. Pauline Murray, right, hold on. So Pauline Murray, if you'd like to put your camera on, say who you are, where you're calling in from and ask your question. Pauline hasn't, right. Rudy, can you unmute Pauline, please? Or unmute Yvonne, because people can't unmute themselves to ask the questions. Could they put their camera on, please? Cam um, Yvonne, I can't find you. Um, what's the other person's name? Um, Pauline, Pauline Murray. 
the cameras are not on, so I'm going to have to try and go through the list. Right, okay. Faye, would you like to um, come on the platform? Hello, good morning. Can you unmute yourself? No? Oh, dear. Uh... Can you can you find them, Rudy? You can't find them. Okay, let me go to the next one. Then I'm apologies for this. Jacqueline A. I'm going to lower your hand. Hi, can you hear me? Ah, oh, hello, Faye. <laughs> Hi. Um, just a quick question. Can you put your camera on so we can see you. Say hello. No, to no, not not today. I'm in the bathroom. I'm just. But I just I just got a general, really general question. And it's for both the doctors and the holistic um, therapists. Is the gap closing between the two? Because as you can imagine, 30 years ago, it was, you know, they were quacks and blah, blah, blah. They weren't taken seriously. So is the gap closing? And, you know, where do people, do they have a good mish of the two? Or do they try one and if it doesn't work, go to the other? How are they, how are they working together now? Is my right. question. Who, who would like to take that? Um, Aaron, would you like to go first? Yeah, um, so I, I do understand part of your question. When you said um, in regards to trying two different, did, were you talking in regards to trying two different treatments or? Well, the thing is, I mean, most people back in my day, yeah. they would try possibly the uh, medical way. And if it doesn't go work, go to the holistic way and vice versa. And that's because they were never in agreement. I mean, I'd go to my doctor and if I said, oh, I'm taking X natural remedies, they'd be like, oh, they're quacks, don't listen to them. So I'm wondering how it is the two of you, the two of you are now working. Are you working closer together or? Yeah, so so um, not what, what I would say is, even though a lot of studies will say, for example, um, there's no evidence for certain holistic med med um, treatments working, it's not to say it doesn't work, it's just that, not enough research has been done on those treatments to say definitely this should be, for example, suggested by the NHS. That's not to say that one is not uh, one can't try it. Absolutely, I'm 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 personally for um, trying different method, measured methods. So based on evidence, I, if a patient came to me, I would suggest you know depending on the certain situation because like I said, every patient is unique and the situation is unique to them. But I would suggest you know, for example pain relief or, um, you know, some form of contraception or referring them on for possible surgery, depending on the situation. But if someone suggested trying um, something like acupuncture or what have you, I wouldn't be against that. Right. Something like acupuncture has been proven um, to be beneficial in um, treatment of pain for other conditions, for example. So just because the, the research isn't out there to say for definite acupuncture can't, can, can't be used for, to treat, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's not the case. If so right. uh, can I think that there is room to try both both and both of them at the same time and not necessarily one right. it's down to you really. Right. Would you you would never refer someone though? No, because um so like I said, um with any treatment in the NHS, it is based on um evidence-based approach. So um for a lot of things, unless there's enough of an evidence base to refer for that um for that service, you wouldn't ideally do that but it's not to say I, I wouldn't recommend trying it um, out of your own volition it's just that 
it's not something that would be um, referred to via the NHS route. That right. Thank you very much for that, Aaron, because we've got quite a few questions. I'm going to ask Yvonne DM, you should be able to unmute yourself now. Yeah. Hello there. Sorry, I can't come on camera. I'm sat here in my dressing gown. Um, <laughs> Where um, are you calling in from? Yeah. Hi, I'm calling from South Nord Crystal Palace Borders. Oh. Hi there, wow. everyone. Just a question. Um, I mean, I've had fibroids and all that stuff and I've had hysterectomy, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. It was one of the best things I did. My life, got, I got my life back. So that was my choice and I'm very happy. Now, one of the things I want to ask is you speak, there was mention of balancing the hormones. I can't remember the pres presenter, she gave the um, spring clean um, brief. I've used maca to balance my hormones. Can you give any other tips or natural ways to balance the hormones which as we know affects hair thinning etc dry skin blah 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 would we really appreciate some in-depth information on that thank you i go too much in depth because we're quite over time but Imani, oh, sorry. brief then brief then <laughs> could either of you pick this one up Imani Valerie oh yes yeah, sorry I didn't hear, I didn't hear you call my name sorry in terms of tips um, as I mentioned before that would be some herbs then there are some really good herbs out there that help balance hormones but remember this is a whole complete holistic approach so you're looking at the eight things that I mentioned one of many you know diet is key um, exercise and stress de-stressing because this all comes back to um the, the other things that, are, that affect us. So it's not just a physical thing, it's a mental and emotional journey as well. So you're, if you're gonna give yourself a healing blueprint, as I call it, those are the three main factors you need to be looking at. So diet, hydration, um, getting enough sleep as well, and dealing with stress, because many of us don't really appreciate just how much stress we are under to the point where we don't even think it's there and it is so I would say those are the key things to deal with if Amani wants to um, add anything to that thank you a nice short answer for me please Imani are you muted can you unmute yourself Imani are you there still I'm sure you are Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question then. Sonia Maynard, if you could um, put your camera on, let us know where you're calling in from and go ahead and ask your question. Sonia Maynard, are you unmuted? Right, apologies for that. Nana D. I'm going to lower your hand if you could say good morning. Say where you're calling in from and ask your question. Let me unmute you. Hello. Hi. Sophia Maynard, can you hear me? All right, we can hear Sophia you. Sophia Maynard. Hello. Sorry, I've unmuted myself now. Yeah, um, I had fibroids in the past. I'm calling from Manchester in Stretford. I've had fibroids in the past and I've had um, um, 
complications. I had this fibroid the size of a grapefruit. So I had the, they didn't offer me any other options. Sorry, I'm lying down. So um, basically, sorry? What's your question? Oh, I just wanted to know, is fibroids hereditary? Thank you. Because my daughter is having similar um, symptoms. I had um, in my 20s, mm. heavy um, stomach cramps, heavy periods, severe um, pain in the lower region um, during her periods, clotting. Um, so I just wanted to know, is it hereditary? So let me um, ask, let me see, Kentucky? <clears throat> Would you like to pick up that question? Are you on mute? Oh, can you unmute yourself? I've asked you to unmute. Can you? Yeah, you Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, the doctor's already said it, that yes, it can be hereditary. But um, sometimes when we say hereditary, it's to understand that the the, the the household that you live or the person just like with diabetes they say it's hereditary but actually when you live the same lifestyle when you have similar stresses then it can cause you know because you, you, you similar um you know um genetics you know so um also so the, the the factors that affect you are similar so um yes you can talk about hereditary but also the factors are similar so yeah but i think the doctor said it can run in families but it's the reasons why it runs in the families okay thank you very much for that j-lo if we, i'll lower your hand if you can unmute yourself and say who you are have your camera on and quickly ask a question are you still there with us hello is that j-lo no okay i'm gonna move on hi Oh, you're there. Is that J-Lo? It's Nana. Nana. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm calling from Beckenham in the Bromley area mm -hmm. and I'm 27. So I just wanted to ask, I recently had um, a hysterectomy and hysteroscopy mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. back in November because I was having very serious issues with bleeding and my periods. Um, when they went in, they said they didn't find anything, even though my scans previously show um, issues. Um, I came out of the operating theater saying they didn't find anything. But since the hysterectomy, I have um, had no issues. Hysteroscopy, sorry, I haven't had a hysterectomy, hysteroscopy. Um, I haven't had as much pain during my period, but I have increased pain. Question, my darling? Um, I've got like a really painful ovulation. So I was just wondering, is there any way I can um, figure that out without going back to the doctors? Right. Dora, would you like to pick that question up? Are you still there, Adora? Or have you been muted? Uh, no, I think I'm back. You're Hi. back. Hi. <laughs> no, it's good. Clarification is really important because I was like, what on earth? Um, yeah, so I think with the with the hysteroscopy, um, it's it's good because what they can do is look at the uterus and see if there's anything obvious in the uterus itself that could be causing pain. I'm assuming you mean pain, painful periods, right? Not painful ovulation. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know that there's, there isn't anything else I'd recommend doing that doesn't involve seeing a doctor and getting more investigations done. But I think this is something that's probably more specialist. Um, the good thing is when, because they've done a hysteroscopy, we can rule out one of the three causes that we've spoken about today. So they can't see any fibroids. So we know that that's not something that's causing your pain. Um, but one of the really common causes of pain, and I'm sure Aaron will chip in, is, is endometriosis. Um, and like we were saying earlier, and the endometrial tissue, you expect to see it in the uterus. So they wouldn't necessarily find anything there. The problem is if you have issues with that sort of tissue outside of the uterus. So in the pelvis, you know, sometimes people get bits of that sort of tissue in the bowels and, you know, in, in different areas outside of the uterus. Um, so I would actually go back and, and you know, press on to be honest, they do, do investigate those, those sorts of things. And, you know, it, it may well be, I know from the few jobs I've done in Obsangaini that um, in situations like this, depending on what they think is going on, they do explorative laparoscopies. So they go in through a keyhole and essentially have a look and see if they can find like any endometrial tissue um, and you know, they can try and laser it and blast it away and remove it. But that also has, you know, risk factors associated. So long-winded answer, but no, I don't think we can do anything more medical help. Thank you. I'm going to ask Pauline Murray because you had your hand, your hand up for quite some time. Hello, Pauline. Welcome to the Hello. Hello. Good morning. Where are you coming in from? Um, I'm coming in from Northwest London. Okay, Hi, Jane. Welcome, welcome. Um, what's your question? Um, basically, I've got endometriosis and fibroids. Well, I, I have had, um, and I say that because um, I, in 2009, I had fibroids, which they couldn't remove because of complications, complications with uh, operations in the past. Now I'm menopausal. And uh, quite recently, over recent times, I've found out I have problems with my maturity gland, um, which I'm having under investigation. What I'm looking to find out, is there some connection still from, from going from um, being, from having your endometriosis and fibroids to going into menopause? Are there any connections there? Um, and what can help that? Mm. Who would like to pick that up? Do, do you, sorry, um, if I if I may ask, do you, do you mean in connections as in do does do fibroids or endometriosis get worse during um, menopause, or is there a link between menopause and fibroids? Just wanted to clarify. Sorry. Okay. Are, are there links to um, to are there menopausal symptoms that are still linked to symptoms that you might be getting from the fibroids and endometriosis? Because I had, um, and why I think one of the reasons I'm asking that question is that the, I haven't heard you mention it, there's a blood test called CA125. Yeah. They test for a hormone thing. And I was checked with that a few years ago, before I, just before I went into menopause, actually. And it was very high, and they thought it was ovarian cancer, and it wasn't. And so they still said that my endometriosis was, was active. Whilst I had a doctor saying it wasn't active before, but there was evidence to say it was active when I was in my early 50s. So oh. I was just wondering, you know, where's the cutoff point? Where does it cut off? Because there's a cutoff point from it. And does it link in then to the menopause if I couldn't have had an operation because of, um, 
because of um, major issues beforehand. I wasn't recommended to have another operation to remove the fibroids, even though they wanted to. So is there a short answer you can give to that? Because I'm going to take two more questions before we wrap up. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there, there's yeah. a short answer, unfortunately. I, I think your, your case, and I'm sorry you've, you've had to go through all that. I can only begin to imagine what you've gone through. Um, it sound, it's really complicated because it's complicated by several different... It, you've got two really um, difficult conditions that you're dealing with at the same time. On top of that, you're going through it while you're going through the menopausal period. So I don't think there's a simple answer to um, that question. On top of it, you mentioned that they were investigating you for ovarian cancer. And the thing with ovarian cancer is it can have really non-specific um, symptoms as well. Like it can be something as simple as having bloating or you can get tummy pain. So it's, it's a difficult mixture. Yeah, of... that came up negative. That came up negative. What they're, what they're investigating now is I have a growth on my pituitary gland. So I was wondering if there's anything in connection with that as well. So with, with the pituitary... So I, I mean, I Sorry. think you might need to have like a consultation, like for example, with Kandaki, yeah. you can go for your whole medical history yeah. and, you know, probably and look at you holistically. It's, I think it's quite difficult for um, um, any of the presenters to kind of like give, like you say, one word answer. Or yeah. Because okay. I think your case is quite complex and you as an individual need to have some kind of thorough you know, consultation, investigation, tests, etc. So, you know, presenters, please put your details into the chat and maybe it's worth you having a conversation with Kandaki or even one of the GPs or your own GP or even one of the other um, specialists that are on the, on the platform. All right, my darling. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Mobs H. Hi there. Hello. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. I'm calling from Bedfordshire. Oh, Hi. Hi there. Well, my question is kind of you, you're short for time is I was diagnosed with polycystic ovaries in my early 20s. However, as the time has gone on, when I've been tested for it again, because um, I got tested when I was at university, when I got home, my new my home physician got tested again. They said I didn't have the polycystic ovaries. Is it possible that what their level of high testosterone um, I don't have or whatever's high for me isn't high for them. Because since then, I've also developed um, fibroids, which have, thank God, were removed. Subsequently, I fell pregnant afterwards. But um, it, is there, is there basically is there the possibility that polycystic, so to have polycystic ovary syndrome can still be suffered later on, just the testosterone level isn't um, as high as their criteria is. I don't know. Do you guys understand the question? I do. I do. I do. I do. I think. Um, but I, I think this depends on, um, you know, of those main symptoms of PCOS, which ones they diagnosed you off the basis of, if that makes sense, because it's hard to, right. to say exactly. So did, yeah, did they tell you, do you have irregular periods? Were there multiple cysts on your ovaries? There was multiple cysts on the ovaries, and that's where I, I believe they initially brought that in. Mm. Um, however, the whole weight side of it, I suffer from. I never got the excessive hair. Um, you know what I mean? The excessive hair all over the body. I never got that. So chest and face, I never got that. But the whole weight gain, the way how my body responded to that, the insulin resistance, I have all of that. Okay. 
So if you have insulin resistance and you have multiple cysts on your ovaries, then that's enough for the diagnosis, regardless of if the, um, um, you know, the testosterone levels are down. Do, I don't uh, know yeah. periods. Oh, Christ. Oh, Sorry? I don't know if you mentioned your periods. Are they regular? Sorry, I was... Hold on one sec. Uh, at the time, um, my periods were regular, but they were irregular, if that makes oh, sense. So basically, I could time it. One would come 21 days, another one would come 28, and one would come 32. And it would go in a cycle like that. But I was I was able to track it. So it was regular, but irregular, if that makes any sense. Regularly regular, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I would say it. it is always hard with PCOS. But I think ultimately, if you have the insulin resistance and you have polycystic ovaries, I, I would say that that's enough. I don't know if you'd add anything Aaron but um the the sex hormones and the androgens and and things like that that for some people they actually just go based on the clinical presentation so if they can see the hair or see acne etc for some people that's enough some people will want actual facts and figures but I I would say that you know the the insulin resistance and the cyst is is probably enough to to say that you have that diagnosis okay thank you right that i'm going to quickly move on because i'm conscious of time natty natty you've got your hand up i'm going to ask you to unmute so natty if you could quickly ask your question if we can get some relatively short answers natty no okay i'm going to ask doretta doretta maynard hello hello everybody i'm doretta Maynard right. Hampton calling from Manchester, I mean from Manchester. Um, um, hi there, good morning everybody in Queens and Kings and Queens. My question is, why do some women not experience the changes going towards menopause? So there's no cold sweats, <clears throat> there's no tiredness, there's no nothing, but the only thing that changes is that their periods stop and then in their late 50s, they become pregnant, but they, be, they get pregnant twice and they end up having miscarriages. Why does that happen? And if they didn't have the miscarriage, would the baby be healthy? Hmm, an interesting one. Thank you. Who would like to pick that up? Um, I, I will I try my hardest to answer that question, but it's a very interesting question. Very, very good question. Um, I, I, there, there were different, there was, sorry, my memory is not the best. If you, if you could break up the, the, the question, what was the first part of the question, sorry? Well, the first part is why some women experience nothing at all to do with menopause, but yet the periods stop. And when they go and get the test, they're being told you've gone through menopause, but they've not experienced anything. Yeah, so, so with, with menopause, you don't necessarily need to um, diagnose it through um, the test. Um, you, usually it's a, just a clinical diagnosis based on symptoms. And um, sometimes, even though the um, the, the hormone oh. this otherwise is usually your symptoms that is the best indicator. I think in regards to why some people experience it differently, what I will say is your your everyone is different. So the what's driving your um, your menopause is the lowering of your oestrogen because your eggs aren't producing it anymore, and women. <clears throat> All of you are going to do that at different rates. You're, you're, none of you are ever going to do that at the same rates. So that's part of the reason why you know um, you're going to experience these symptoms differently because oestrogen is what is related to this whole process. So if it's different in different people, then yeah, you're going to experience it differently. Does exercise have anything to do with that as well? The fact that you're quite um, 
mobile, you're, you exercise all the time, you're quite fit. Um, you know, because sometimes that's what the doctors say, it's because you're quite fit while you're not feeling the symptoms of cold sweat. I mean, them sweating and things like that and tiredness and, you know, you're quite still bouncing. Your and they always say your metabolism is still quite high. You've got a metabolism, metabolism of the rate of a 19 year old and you're in your 50s and you think, when is it going to change? You know, you've been a size six or size eight for a long time. And then when you get to your like 50s, you then become a size 10 and you think you're big, but you're not but it's because you've gone from a size six to a size 10. And but they say that's normal for, the, for your age, but it doesn't mean that it's menopause. And then when they do the test, they say you've got, been through the menopause, it's finished, it's done, blah, 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 blah. But yet you still go on to get pregnant twice in your late fifties. And in those times you've miscarried. Mm. I think things like exercise um, can, can be reported because um, part of the issue with menopause is um, um, changes in your mood as well. So things like uh, exercise and stress release um, um, can play a role in mitigating some of those symptoms that you um, can experience during menopause. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, things like exercise are definitely important in determining how your body responds to the changes that are happening to you. Mm -hmm. So why do they still go on to get pregnant then, even though they've gone through menopause? <coughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to have to wrap up because it's, it's um, after 11 now. I'm going to ask each presenter to um, give a parting message, a take-home message before I wind the platform down. So, Kandaki, would you like to kick off first? What's your parting yeah. message to the guests on the platform? Okay, so I would say that um, more than now than ever, it's so important that you look at a more holistic way to approach your health and well-being. Um, just like the lady who spoke about menopause and the other lady who asked about alternatives to um, pain and so forth, remember that our diet and our foods are the natural um, things that we take into our body and that the pharmaceuticals are based on the natural world to affect the same things in the body that plants and herbs do. So your job is to understand the natural world more and how it affects you, including things like stress and so forth. So that's my take home message. Know more about natural health. It will help you in the future. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, my queen. Aaron? What is your parting gift, your parting message to guests on the platform? Um, yeah, what I'll say is, I know it's a cheesy comment, but health is wealth. Um, and um, as, as I mentioned in my, um, in my presentation, there's some things that are outside of your control and that's, that's fine. Um, but there are lots of things um, you guys can do to not just um, improve your risk, well, reduce your risk of getting things like um, fibroids and endometrial but there's so many things you can do to mitigate the risk of developing lots of medical conditions that affect um, um, black people in general and I think I think what, what a lot of us have said today is lifestyle modification exercise stress release those are crucial things so um, by all means get on that because it, it's, it's really important for you thank you so much Adora beautiful Adora I agree. No, 100%. I think everybody's, you know, touched on so many important points. I think often there can be this idea that as doctors, we're just trying to cram medication down your throat and, you know, cram surgery and, and all of these 
necessary things down your throat. And I think, you know, it's important to realize that there are, they're there for a reason. There are, you know, some cases where people will need that regardless of lifestyle modifications, but it's certainly not a one size fits all for everybody. Um, even with PCOS, the vast majority of people may not have symptoms and it may not find that their fertility is affected. And a big part of that will be down to lifestyle changes if that makes sense. So, you know, it's just balancing and, and bearing that in mind. We can do, we can only do the best that we can do in terms of looking after ourselves, making sure our diet and our exercise and, and everything is working together to bring our, you know, insulin levels down, sugar levels down and all that sort of thing, because we can't control that. Um, but if you do need further help, go and see your GP. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Imani. Queen Imani, what is your parting message to the guests on the platform, my darling? And I know you're there. Are you there? You might need to unmute yourself. Valerie, what is your parting message to the guests on the platform? Mine is mine is quite simple. It's detox, detox, detox. So, you know, mm. you know, detox your mind you know, the emotional detox, the physical detox and the mental detox as well. It is fundamental to healing that we now start looking after ourselves and taking responsibility for our health and our well-being as well. And um, yeah, that's it. As simple as that. Wonderful. Thank you. So I want to thank all the presenters this morning on the platform. I'm not sure where I can't find Imani here. Thank all the presenters for the wealth of infinite information and knowledge you've impacted on us. Hopefully you all you've all made loads of notes. You'll go away and, you know, put a lot of what's been said to you into practice. You know, detox. It's a holistic approach. It's about your diet, sleep, drinking the water. You know, we say it time and time again, almost every week. It's the, it's the same. It's the, it's the same message that keeps coming out. You know, in regards to all these different topics that we talk about every week. So, just I just want to wish you all a fantastic Saturday. Enjoy yourselves, and you know, do put these things into practice. If you want to try and have optimum health, you know, you've got to make that change. It's changing the mindset. So thank you all very much for being on the platform. And I'll just quickly say to hear about Future Queen's walking group um, Zooms, please follow us on Eventbrite so you'll get the instant notification come out to you in your email once we put up you know, the next subject that we're going to be discussing, the next event we're going to be um, broadcast on a Saturday morning. This Zoom event has been recorded and will be going up onto our YouTube channel. There's quite a few um, Zoom recordings up on the channel already. So please go on, like, subscribe, share, comment. That would be fantastic. And it, I just need to bid you all a wonderful, wonderful Saturday. And also before I, before I don't forget, if anybody wants to join me in March, on the King's Queen's 30-day intermittent fasting challenge, please get in touch. Yeah, we've got a few spaces left. So have a wonderful day, everybody. Take care. And until we meet again, enjoy your Saturday. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.